Hey, Real Nerds. There's many ways to enjoy the Real Nerds podcast. You can listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify and iHeartRadio. You can see what we're up to around town by following us at Real Nerds on Instagram. And if you want to send us your thoughts, you can email us at realnerds at gmail.com or call us at 720-6nerds5. Like us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or tweet us at Real Nerds. And now on with the show. Here we go again, it's our film explosion. A movie countdown of real devotion. It could get long, so bring your ibuprofen. I'm telling you all, it's a film explosion. What's got the best acting? What's got the best direction? The cream of the crop, here's our selection. From comedy to drama, even black exploitation. I'm telling you all, it's a film explosion. I'm telling you all, it's a film explosion! Film explosion! This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Fan Expo 2022, happening this July at the convention center. With the Hobbits being there, big reunion. Um, and there's, Jay, there's another big Bob. reunion. And yeah, the clerks are all going to be there. No, 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 no. I wonder if I can get Jay Muse on my podcast. Matt, man, 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 podcast. I'm going to walk by his booth and it's like, hey, Jay, you ever had your asshole, you know, by a fat man in an overcoat? And he's just like, ah, yeah, because I said it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Just tell him we're friends with Ming Chen. I know. Well, if Ming Chen's there, then maybe we have an in. Because he's nice. He's on our podcast. And it's a great interview by myself, if I must say so. Just be like, hey, hey, buddy. Because I think he was impressed at how much Security. knowledge I had. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find that interview on realnerdspodcast.com or anywhere you get podcasts. Usually we watch a new movie and we podcast our experience of the world, except on special occasions like this one, where we do Film Explosion 1982. I was one year old. You two fuckers weren't born. Brad, this is the year you were born, correct? Yes, in, in July. So technically, I'm not born yet. So any movie after July is your yeah in your I'm alive house. yeah. Um, so I'm with Zach. Hello, Corinne. Hi. And you heard Brad. What up? <laughs> Hello. Uh, but hey guys. Too was fun. I, I, <laughs> I like new Brad. Um, I, I sent Brad a text message, and I was gonna do like a really mean thing for Corinne. Was I was gonna pick all slasher films for 1982? Because you totally can. And I've seen them. Make also. her watch all the uncensored yeah, trailers. Yeah, I'm gonna make her watch all the uncensored trailers. And I was like, but there's a lot of great movies in 1982, so I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. If if it was like you know 2001, maybe. So maybe like <laughs> half of the films on your list are those slasher movies. No, I think there's. I think I have three. Yeah, it's a pretty light, actually. Yeah. Um, but some of them are repeated by other people, so <laughs> <laughs> you'll see them twice. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh, yeah, I mean. But, I mean, one of the greatest sci-fi films, two of the greatest sci-fi films, three of the greatest sci-fi films happened this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Huge year for, like, uh, oh God, was it cult movies? Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, I, I went through and I did have kind of, I did have a hard time. 
Um, usually when it's this old, because back then too, they didn't release that many movies. It's not now where, you know, I can, you know, Netflix or Hulu put out a new movie every week. It's, well, this is movies in the theater for three weeks. You can go see it. Yeah. Um, and they'd be in the theater for months. Oh yeah. Yeah. And sold out for months. It's weird how movies have evolved and changed. You know, I think about like this week is, I think, uh, someone was talking about the box office to the Batman and I forget how it came to it, but it's like, when was the last time you had to wait in line to buy tickets to a movie? Mm. Oh, uh, I remember going for like Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like a decade ago. Yeah. I mean, the last time I remember really waiting in a line was Spider-Man and then the Star Wars prequels. I had to wait in line for around the block even. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's one of the greatest moments ever is when I, I used to do the, the book work for Outback. So, uh, I'd have to go in really early. And the night before, I saw Spider-Man at midnight, of course. And so I'm really tired because I'm, I didn't go to bed till like 4. And I have to be at, out back at like 8 in the morning. And the first showing for Spider-Man was like 10.30. And I'll never forget pulling into the Denver West and seeing the line for Spider-Man down to soundtrack. I go, oh, this movie's going to be big. And as a Spider-Man fan, you get really excited because, you know, if one, he's never been on the big screen before. And... Uh, then you know there's going to be more. But yeah, there's no... Now it's... I got to make sure I'm online. I, I mean, because with Endgame, I remember just getting through and I bought three or four tickets and then it was crashing the servers and stuff. Yeah. I mean, Spider-Man did too this year, uh, last year, I guess now. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just realized I've never had to wait in line for a traditional theatrical release. Hmm. The only time I've waited in line for a movie was at Comic-Con when uh, my friend and I got into that advanced screening of Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. But we waited outside for like three hours in the San Diego sun to get in there. Nice. But out, but outside of that, never had to wait in line for any of the major releases since I was a teenager. I cannot, I, I'm like maybe Avengers, and that was it. Because mm-hmm. like we didn't wait in line for. Well, we did wait in the line for Dark Knight Rises the night we the, that night, but we got our tickets in advance so we were just waiting to be let in the theater so it wasn't about like getting your ticket like i can't remember the last time i ever had to really do that times have changed yeah i remember for the (laughs) star wars special editions uh like we waited outside bowls and there was a media play next door so we would trade off and like one of us would go in and browse around and come back while we were waiting yeah i yeah I, i don't really yeah, I mean, those are the times I really remember. I'm, I'm sure we, I did before. Did you guys wait in line for uh, the first Dark Knight, the um, the second Nolan film? No. Yeah. no. Yeah. Well, I remember waiting uh, waiting outside the Colorado IMAX to get in for mm. the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I remember like small queues, like you were inside, yeah. like the mills or something, waiting for like to get in. Like yeah. even when we started the podcast, they were yeah. still doing that. But I meant like. Like the like the prequels, like a Denver West yeah. one, it was like down to soundtrack, like and getting like, your yeah. ticket there. Like yeah. people were, you know, like you, you had to show up and get your ticket at that time, right? Yeah. Right. But it's, I was just like fascinated, like how that's an experience well, no one else is going to experience. I mean, everything's changed. I mean, I remember uh, going to concerts too. You, I just have to go to um, the box office, the box office, and you'd wait in line, and you'd be like, oh my god, I hope I get a good seat. And now it's well, I just got to wait till they drop online. I mean, it's made it more convenient, but it takes some of the fun away actually i can't even really pick my seat anymore like they give you a like an area and they say like you know you get this number yeah in this section and yeah tough luck yeah times have changed yeah 
but we still love movies. Yeah. This was a more innocent time, though. Um, but I also have... Uh, I did get a, a letter from Carol, but I didn't get anything else. And it, Jake sent something in. Did he? Yeah. Okay, cool. So it's weird. I can always tell how popular film explosions are going to be by how many emails we get. And Well, I feel like if people were fully aware of how many 1982 films were here, like we would have gotten way more lists. But I don't feel like it's a year that people identify directly. Apart from Star Trek Two. E.T., the thing, you know. Blade Runner. Blade Runner, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many. But whatever. But they may uh, not know 1982. Yeah. If, uh, if you've never listened to our film Explosion, basically we have a list of our 10 favorite films. Our favorite 10 films, not Critical Darlings. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be, might not be. It's just what we enjoy the most. I always base mine on which I, how ones I watch the most, not necessarily the best ones. Mm-hmm. It's the ones I enjoy the most. Um, Brad has randomly selected the way we do this. Based on the most well, not, efficient way. Well, not randomly. Um, so the most efficient way to get through the list. Um, James and Henry are not here this week, so I guess they don't even care about 1982. Well, Henry's uh, made it clear that 80s film explosions, he was far away from being born yet, so they're not as on his radar as yeah. more and, recent and stuff. James couldn't find any weirdo wackadoo films that he never watched to just show the trailers for. well there's one movie this year i think he's just avoiding the entire podcast for oh that's right yeah something here i i think we need to respect his space and let yeah. him be afraid of that very terrifying alien that's I mean, true when i heard 1982 film explosion, i wasn't thinking anything was gonna be you know maybe like four or five movies but then i saw the list and i was like no this is a good year i need to put together like a real list yeah first time for everything yeah yeah, it's funny. Is uh, <laughs> she only has nine entries instead of ten? <laughs> when I was designing it, I was getting to the very end of making this Blu-ray, and you know, my job is to make the most efficient uh, way to do it. Yeah. And I got to like round three, and I realized there was something where I was like, "Oh, there was a tag team up, but I totally missed it." So I had to. It's all right. I had to stop and like. Oh, do you redo it? it huh? Do you redo it or just left it? I I fixed it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> but I was just like, I can't. I've like had that list staring at me for like. I don't know, four weeks now, and I never put it together. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of tag teams this year. Nice. Sweet. Nice. And some really fun uh, sweepers. Sweet. Um, so, Corinne, you're the first one here with our Starfleet emblem. So uh, go ahead and kick it off. Yeah, sorry. My number 10 is a film I've seen. I needed a 10th film on the list, so I, I'm sure I'm sweeping somebody. So I apologize in advance. Yes, you are. Fire and wind come from the sky, from the gods of the sky. But Krum is your god. Krum, and he lives in the earth. Once giants lived in the earth, Conan. And in the darkness of chaos, they fooled Krum. And they took from him the enigma of steel. Krum was angered, and he was shook. And fire and wind struck down these giants and they threw their bodies into the waters. But in their rage, the gods forgot the secret of steel and left it on the battlefield. And we who found it are just men. Not gods, not giants. Just men. And the secret of steel has always carried with it a mystery. You must learn its riddle, Conan. You must learn its discipline. For no one, no one in this world can you trust. 
not men, not women, not beasts. This you can trust. The time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And onto this, Conan, destined to bear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. It is I, his chronicler, who alone can tell thee of his saga. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. So my number 10 is Conan the Barbarian. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, I'll talk about it later, but yeah, it's fun. I think I watched it like on Netflix 10 years ago, so mm. I don't remember too much about it. Uh, it's fun. I mean, it's got so James Earl Jones in list. it. So, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, although he didn't really know how to act yet. I think he does... Well, I mean, his job was to, like, look buff and hold a sword. It does that well. Yeah, admittedly, like, his character's not super deep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not really required to be a conversationalist. No. (laughs) But it does have James Earl Jones in it, and that's always a win. (laughs) Heck yeah. His sweet baritone. Brad, number 10. You're the worst. Like, you don't know that you're next. My number 10 is a and, bagel. Um, this has happened multiple times where he's eating, and he knows he's the next one up. You just can't wait. So, like, so the thing I thought that you guys I like, were going to talk more, I swear. So I think the thing I like most about a bagel is that it's delicious and it fills my stomach. I do like everything bagels. It's my favorite type of bagel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is everything bagel a movie? Can we look that up? It, that'd be sweet. Ooh, everything it has bagel. a little bit of everything. You have your comedy... Your thriller, Samuel Samuel Jackson plays one of the bagels that goes rogue or something. I I did read an article, it was really funny, as an interview with Sam Jackson, when he found out that Jonah Hill's cussed more in films than he has, and he cusses like, motherfucker, count again! And I yes. I feel like he's going to make a movie now just so he can like say the F word every three seconds. Yeah. Just to top Just call the movie, motherfucker. Are are you ready, Brad? I'm ready now. Okay. (laughs) Uh, my number 10, uh, admittedly, I have not seen in a while. 
Aurora and Don Bluth Productions present a classic adventure in motion picture entertainment. I must tell you about Nim. Look there. It's a fantasy with wizards and villains. And heroes. I ain't scared of nothing. I'm not even afraid of the great owl. Will you hush up? Come on. It's an odyssey to another world. A world of fantasy and enchantment. To what you see and hear, you must swear absolute secrecy. It's the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. Do you like me? Of course I like you. It's I mean, a story of friendship. I mean, you don't think I'm clumsy or anything. What? I just need a few pointers to polish my style. I told you you'd love flying. I don't know how I let you talk me into this. It's a classic story of courage. Why have you come? a world of danger. If I had actually been near a cat, I'd be sneezing my brains out. I'm allergic to... Hey. Excuse me, pardon me. Where courage is rewarded. Oh, thank you. A motion picture for everyone to share. Oh, the poor turkey fell down. I'm, I'm not a turkey. Big no, buzzer, Discover the secret of Nim, and rediscover the child in us all. So uh, Brad's number ten film is Secret of Nim. He's eating again, like he didn't know that his trailer We're was doing a Brad end. Pitt thing. I like, the, <laughs> I like the part where there's bagels in it. Uh, yeah, my number ten is The Secret of Nim, uh, which I don't think I've watched since I was a kid. <laughs> but uh, just watching that trailer, I was like, man, you don't see dark, disturbing children's movies anymore, do you? Not really. Um, dark in a different way, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember too much from it. I. All I remember, I think, is, um, you know, the rats of Nim. It's based on a book, and the rats of Nim are, like, rats that were in some, like, science experiments and became intelligent, um, even though Miss Frisbee's not part of that, but she's, like, <laughs> human-imbued, intelligent character. But anyway, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, there's, like, some secret to all that. Uh, you mean it's of Nim? <laughs> Like NIM is like an acronym for the you science said, project. There, there's a secret, and I said, "Oh, yeah. okay, okay." Yeah. I, I don't know if my joke landed. I'm it talking did. to the audience <laughs> listening. <laughs> he ceased to care about what you think. <laughs> That's fine too. Yeah, I think the artwork's really. really oh yeah, no, really I, I really awesome miss and... traditional animation big time, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling it's never going to come back. But you know, maybe one day. Not on a big scale. Well, there's a lot of indie. cartoon saloon. I mean, their stuff's beautiful, but. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. 
Wow, this podcast is really exciting right now. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for whoever's. So um, I'm waiting for bagels. My number ten film is a horror film, and I really hope Brad got the Red Band trailer for it. No, it's the one I sent you, Brad. So I really hope you did, because this has boobs and violence in it. No. Can't talk eating bagel. No, I just realized that you sent me trailers, and I forgot that you did that, so I just picked whatever I did. Ah, you fucker! Sorry. You told me it's like, hey, make sure you send trailers. It makes it easy for me. So I did, and then this is what I get. This is what I get. <laughs> deal with a bunch of fucking amateurs you know what brad's just gonna eat a bunch of bagels oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anything can happen when you're alone in the dark are you afraid of the dark sometimes <laughs> sort of fun <laughs> With a little kid, I was scared to death to be alone in the dark. I always knew that there was something that I couldn't see that wanted to get me. Hold on. What's the matter now? Closet. Oh my god. Outside the window. <laughs> the worst thing of all was the thing under the bed. <laughs> Billy! It isn't real. This is a very serious situation. <laughs> I know that we're all a little on edge here tonight, but let's take it easy, okay? I mean, this is an old house. There are all kinds of sounds. Jack Palance, Donald Pleasance, Martin Landau, Dwight Schultz, Erland Van Lith. Alone in the Dark from New Line Cinema. Uh, my number 10 is Alone in the Dark. It is a slasher film that... Based on the second video game? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what the video game is based off of. Um, and it's about these men- uh, mental health patients that escape an asylum and start killing people. Um, it's cheesy but the end is super violent and it's pretty cool um and the yeah the special effects are pretty cool in it um the performances are all over the place jack palance is really great in it martin landau's good in it um but yeah that's what it's like a home invasion thriller and uh some of the acting isn't the great like the little girl in it is awful Mm. and but yeah it's just a silly movie yeah um been a while since i've seen it otherwise i might have put it on there for donald but yeah he just kind of disappears in the movie too he's he drives this car then he goes to these people's house to warn them and it's too late that the bad guy's already there yeah and then i guess he dies because he kind of just disappears because <laughs> martin landau shows up behind him and they he, do like the Ooh. he had to go hide he had to go hide and repair his scars to go fight michael about <laughs> what t- six years later yeah <laughs> Yep, that's my number 10. 
All right. Please make sure that you guys, you know, don't make the podcast fall. <laughs> All righty then. Um, my number 10 uh, is a movie that I used to, I, I refused to watch for the longest time until I was finally peer pressured into doing it. And I have uh, never regretted that decision since. about this Cochrane? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Trick or treat, trick or treat. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding! Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. I want a mask. Can I have a mask? Uh, uh, just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, Congress? Why? Do I need a reason? I've got nothing here to indicate there was ever a body at all. Operator, this is an emergency. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. You've got to believe me. They're going to kill us. All of us. Stop it. Halloween. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. The night no one comes home. Yeah, so my number 10 is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Um, it's uh, it, I, I refused to see this for the longest time because I ha- did not have Michael Myers in it. So I was like, well, what's the point of watching this film? But when I, when I was going to film school, um, I met my friend Matt Willicks, and I believe he was the one who convinced me that I just need to sit down and watch it and just respect it on its own merit. Um and Halloween three season of the witch it uh, it takes place at Halloween but it has nothing to do with the canon established before or what comes after. It really involves a doctor who's like the the most reckless alcoholic doctor imaginable, uh, who stumbles upon a mystery involving a manufacturer of masks, um, and they it, it leads into this weird conspiracy with robots and Stonehenge and the whole film operates 
on a Twilight Zone-ish Quatermass kind of deal where it's just like this very dark sci-fi horror tale. Um, uh, it's got very campy performances from Tom Atkins um, and the rest of the cast. Um, and I feel like the movie, the more I watch it, the more I respect the intent to distance themselves from Michael and to create their own little dark, their own little dark Halloween tale out of it. In a way, I kind of wish that the Halloween movies had continued doing something like this. Let's just create another scary movie under the Halloween banner. But uh, at the same time, I still appreciate Michael. So, but it's a nice experiment. Um, it was a huge bomb when it came out. So I kind of, and I kind of understand why, but I wish that it had found a better audience. I think you would have just needed to take the name Halloween off of it and just call it Season of the Witch or the Silver Shamrock or something like that, and you would have had better success. But this movie does great on people's nerves for several reasons, not the least of which is you heard a little bit of the Silver Shamrock jingle in it, which is like, eight more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. And it is an earworm that drives you fucking crazy. Um, But it's for all those reasons and more that I do enjoy it. It's not a perfect film. It's got a lot of flaws, but... It's so wonderful to watch and revisit at Halloween time. So, so yeah, Halloween three season of the witch starring Mr. Sex himself, Tom Atkins. Okay. My number nine is a movie I watched for catching the classics. Let me tell you about my client, Michael Dorsey. He was a fine actor, maybe a great actor, but for every role he wanted, there was a reason why he wasn't right. Sorry, you're too tall. I can be shorter. No, I can't use you. Too short. Oh, I can be taller. Too moody. Next. Too old. Too stubborn. You're too much trouble. Too tough. Too temperamental. Too pushy. Too difficult. Michael, no one will hire you. Just force me. Boy, did he show us. He auditioned for the female lead on a soap opera and became the hottest new actress in America. And you know what? No one knows his new identity, not even the girl he's madly in love with. Soon everyone will know that she's Dustin Hoffman and he's Tootsie. Cool. My number nine is Tootsie. Good. Which I think I tried to live stream me watching the last like 20 or 30 minutes of it. Didn't go well (laughs) on Twitter. But yeah, it's fun. Fun movie. Had a fun time watching it. Kind of reminds me of like Mrs. Doubtfire, obviously. Yeah. Or Charlie's Aunt. I think Mrs. Doubtfire is more fun. Probably. That's all right. It's been a while since I've, well, you know, like a year or two since I saw Tootsie. It didn't leave much of an impression on me, but I do like the joke that they make about it in 30 Rock. (laughs) So, anyway, my number nine, Tootsie. Cool. Brad, is your number nine a repeat? Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) Now I feel like you're fucking with me. I was fucking with you on that one. Uh, Yeah, my number nine is a repeat. It's Conan Conan the Barbarian. Oh, I didn't sweep you too bad then. No. I had I had a whole bunch of sweeper graphics I wanted to do. I originally wasn't going to give you one, 
but because there's so many, I was like, I, I want people to see it. So <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll put one there. But yeah, Conan the Barbarian, again, another one I haven't watched in a long time, but um, I remember it being badass when I watched it. And um, I think we actually studied it in like history class or something nice. or watched it. Um, what school maybe, did you go to? I can't remember if it was high school or if it was like a for actually at my um, video class in, in college. Because there's something about you know, the hero's journey. There's something very elemental about that script. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then watching Conan the Destroyer and being like, wow. <laughs> this <laughs> <Yeah>. is different. <laughs> I don't think I've ever finished Conan the Destroyer. No? Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's not as like no. raw as... No, I think it's also rated PG. Yeah. Like, they way toned it down. I know. It, like, he has, like, a kid sidekick and stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's the um, Beyond Thunderdome of the Conan yeah, series. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My number nine is uh, Conan the Barbarian. Cool. Uh, my number nine is Terror in a New Dimension. Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive friday the 13th part three in 3d jason you can't fight him you can't stop him and now you can't even keep him on the screen Friday, the 13th, part three, in 3D. Now, when it comes to killing in Jason's woods, Jason will come to you. Friday, the 13th, part three, in 3D. A new dimension in terror. It will scare you. on it. You don't have to brag about the fact that your killer showed up in the third entry and mine didn't, okay? Not only did he show up, uh, <laughs> this is Friday 13th 3, part 3D, by the way. Wait, part 3 in 3D. Um, He's not even the first entry, so there's that. Yeah, but this he gets his hockey mask in, and the movie is, uh, like, the characters aren't that great in it. I, I do love the final girl. She's my favorite final girl. I think it's because I have a crush on Dana Kimball. Um, but she also kind of like fights Jason one-on-one in the barn is cool. Um, but yeah, th- I mean, the big draw here is the 3d and the making of it's really cool because back then they had to have a camera 
that was huge that had two different lenses in it. Mm-hmm. And even no matter how much they clean it up, because the Screen Factory release is a brand new 4K scan, you can still see the like the uh, glass from both the fr- uh, le- cameras at some point. Yeah. Um, it's, didn't that juggling scene take forever for them oh, to yeah. film because of the... Um... And uh, Steve Miner, who directed it, he said that because it was so technically hard to get the 3D effects right, that they didn't care about the acting. They go, yeah, cool. So just say your lines. We need to set up for the next 3D shot. Because it's not like now where they post-converted. It's all done on screen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just fun. Um, and Jason gets his mask. Yeah, and yeah, he gets his mask. And I love the eyeball when he squeezes a guy's head so hard. The eyeball pops out at you. <laughs> because I think uh, that dude's the biggest douchebag ever in <laughs> Friday the 13th. And so when he gets his... Because, like, Even more of a douchebag than the guy in the remake? Well, no, but he's, but he's a funny, like, <laughs> douchebag. That guy is just, come on, like, hook up with me. I'm, I'm this guy who wears a sweater. And I think that's more creepy than the dude who's like, yeah, let's just bone. Because you know what you're getting with the dude who just says that. But the guy who's, I don't know, like, subverts, like, what he wants, I think it's really weird. Guilt tripping? Yeah, <laughs> pathetic about it? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then he, like, runs around uh, looking... <laughs> That her name's Chris and she's screaming for him. She's asking where he's at, and he's being his head's being squeezed by Jason, and then his eyeball pops out, mm-hmm. and then he throws him through the window like really violently. <laughs> I love it. I'm impressed by that scene. How Jason's hand over his mouth completely diminishes any sound coming out. Like, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> it's don't proof. you know how sound works? <laughs> and she's standing right around the corner, and she can't hear. Yeah anything happening over nope. there no struggle at well, all th- it's blowing wind and it's windy outside <laughs> so his screams go this way and the wind carries it someone um, in another county hears the screams because of the way sound travels yeah no it's just a fun movie uh, it's not one of my favorite friday the 13th but i still like watching it you know what i miss is like 80s trailers like this where they're yeah. so rough and messy yeah. and well i, and I love Fontaine's the vo- voice yeah i love the voiceover and the friday the 13th ones for the first five they always did that one, one two, two and they're like highlight i mean the part six trailer is pretty great where it's literally just a tracking shot into jason's um grave and then the lightning destroys his tombstone and then the coffin opens and there's nothing inside i think that's great the but. best trailer is freddy versus jason because it says the line place your bets yes <laughs> no. yeah. but overall like all these trailers you're gonna <laughs> yeah. see it they're just like they just feel thrown together yep it's great yep that's my number nine, Friday the 13th, part three, in 3D, which I do have the soundtrack for from Waxworks. Hmm. Disco theme blaring through your house oh, in yeah. stereo. Oh, yeah. That's how you, that's how you get it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Zach? Cool. My number nine is probably going to be a sleeper, but I would be remiss if I didn't put it on because I love this movie and I'm not a fan of the ones that follow it. John Rambo, a drifter, just passing through their town. Morning. Headed north or south? North. Now jump in. I'll make sure you're heading the right direction. You got some place I can eat around here? There's a diner about 30 miles up the highway. Is there any law against me getting something here? Yeah, me. I want you to book this gentleman for vagrancy, resisting arrest, carrying a concealed weapon. They knew he was innocent. I'm starting to dislike you. A lot. 
they didn't give a damn. That's okay, Warren. Don't worry about the soap. He's tough. Just shave him. Crack. Don't move. I don't want you to cut your own throat. John Rambo. One man who's been pushed too far. You're finished! You've gone as far as you're gonna go! And straight for the top. Right on top of him. There's no way out of here except through us. He was hunted. Trapped. There he is! On the cliff! And forced to fight back. Don't push it, I'll give you a war you won't believe. Teasel, you and all your men couldn't handle him before. Now, what makes you think you can handle him now? Because God knows what damage he's prepared to do. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? Send that money. Don't forget one thing. A good supply of body bags. Sylvester Stallone. This time, he's fighting for his life. First Blood. My number nine is First One. Or <laughs> my number. My number nine is First Blood. Um, Ted Ketchoff's um, uh, entry into the Rambo series that kicked off a seemingly implausible action series based on what the source material is because the the first the first entry in Rambo is really a drama laced with action about a vet who wanders into a town and is put upon and mis- mistreated and abused and he basically takes everybody out one by one as vengeance because they drew first blood um, and they have to call in his old commander Colonel Troutman to try to talk him down um, I saw this for the first time in a action class um, at film school, and I was enamored by how they treated PTSD, war, war, war veteran PTSD in an action movie. Like, it just seemed so magically constructed and, like, just perfectly executed. And the movie still works for me. Um, and I've I've talked about it before on the show, but Troutman is played by Richard Crenna, who I always knew prior to seeing that this film as a geeky teenager on a radio show that I enjoy. So to hear the difference, it's just a wonderful uh, attestment to his versatility as an actor and how he was able to sustain past the 50s. So there's just a lot of fun stuff for me to fiddle with around here, and I just enjoy the film. Um, and it has good action while still maintaining its drama, but I always find it weird that the lesson they took was to just make this a full-on action series rather than maybe just deal with more of the trauma that John Rambo goes through. Um, I don't know. It just always seemed kind of strange to me. The series that came off of it seems so far away from the source material. But this first one is fantastic. And if you if you want to watch a really solid performance from Stallone I think you can't go uh, you can't go wrong with this one along with Rocky like these this and the first Rocky like they show how brilliant an actor he is in several respects so so yeah that's my mind first blood um I know I swept some folks so I apologize but I didn't want to not include it because I really do enjoy this film Corinne number eight my number eight is a movie 
she is a creature of legend. In an age of sorcery and savagery. Well, whatever we hear. <laughs> demons. No! And dragons. She may be the last unicorn. All I want to know is if you've seen other unicorns like me somewhere in the world. You can find the others if you are brave. They passed down all the roads long ago and the Red Bull ran close behind them and covered their footprints. Oh, I could never leave this forest. But I must know if I am the only unicorn left in the world. The classic tale is now a classic animated adventure. Featuring the voices of Mia Farrow. The, the, the spell was wrong, but there was true magic in it. Alan Arkin. My dear, you deserve the services of a great wizard, but I'm afraid you'll have to be glad of the aid of a second-rate pickpocket. Jeff Bridges. That is exactly what heroes are for. It's you or me, Moth. Hand to hand to hand to hand. Robert Klein. Christopher Lee. I am King Haggard. And the music of America. It's the last unicorn. A journey into the unknown. What's oh. that? Go on! A mystery full of wonders and a fantasy beyond imagining. Not that one. Hmm? I want to know who she is. Schmendrick the Light. Last unicorn. The legend will live forever. My number eight is the last unicorn. Boo! I want to see this now. It's actually got a pretty stacked voice cast. And? And I just heard Alan Arkin just, I'm just going to read this and have (laughs) no emotion. Yes, my dear, I'm a wizard. I'm full of magic, etc., etc. Send the check to. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. Yeah, he's not the best in it and even jeff bridges kind of phones it in but christopher lee is giving it his absolute all and some of the shit he has to say (laughs) is like wow christopher lee is just such a phenomenal actor if he can make this sound legit is he the voice of america that the soundtrack (laughs) is alluding to (laughs) no no america sings the songs see every once in a while corinne i watch a trailer and i go wow that's rough (laughs) it is not a good movie I remember watching this as a kid and thinking it was a lot better than it was because I rewatched this the other night and I'm like, wow, this movie's way worse than I remember. When we were watching the trailer, I was wondering like, man, like how would this have gotten away with a theatrical release? And then I saw Lord Grotty and I'm like, oh, that's how it happened. That's how that happened. But there is a good movie there. And if they had had a way better budget for their animation, because their animation is not very good. And if they had had some, like, rewrites, I think it could have been amazing. Because there is actually a thing at the end where they tease you that the prince is the Red Bull, which is the villain of the movie. But then they totally are like, nope, actually he's not. 
And if a frog had wings, it wouldn't bump thing. its ass when it hopped. You know what? You know what would be great. <laughs> you, you, you know what would be a good like like George Lucasing of this piece is if they just get Alan Arkin while he's still alive to play both the wizard and the unicorn. So you, you, you just just have him be the unicorn. In fact, you know what? Actually, have him play Mia every Farrow part. Does a pretty good job as the unicorn. That's fair, but I want Alan Arkin as a unicorn. <laughs> okay, then I, you can get. that. I feel like I'm owed this after dealing with COVID for two years. <laughs> yeah, it it's not great. There are some parts of the movie that are pretty good, but it's it's like the elements were there, but they just failed to capitalize and execute properly. I gotcha. But again, if you're a tiny baby child and you're watching this like, ooh, pretty colors, unicorns, like, you have about three brain cells in your head, so of course you're gonna love it. So, so very small children uh, and the Trump family. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, my number eight, The Last Unicorn. And that's the last we'll ever talk about it. Brad, your number Yay. eight. My number eight is more mystical sorcery stuff. In a place outside time lies a mystical realm of sound and vision. A wondrous civilization. Where good and evil struggle to possess the dark crystal. Oh uh, yeah, my number eight is the Dark Crystal. Um, yeah, another sorcery type movie, except uh, from Jim Henson and their amazing puppetry. A lot of groundwork uh, in animatronics started with this movie. Um, Stories kind of tough to follow, um, and they Netflix had that uh, reboot yeah. a couple years ago, which I started and sadly I didn't finish, but. <laughs> um, and you're the reason it didn't get a second season. I know. I feel bad. They're like, we just need this one guy to finish this. <laughs> Not that we just cancel things constantly so we have new content so we keep subscribers going. We just need this one guy <laughs> to watch this. If we can get his $9 a month. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think the story is uh, there's these, they're called Skeksis, and they're gatekeeping <laughs> this crystal and keeping um all the other creatures in the land uh oppressed and uh eventually uh the gelflings gel geldings gelflings i think it's gelflings um rise up and kind of foil their plans and uh really just the amazing part is the animatronics and all the effects they have for the puppets yeah it looks cool yeah i was never i'm not a big fan of this or labyrinth i mean my wife loves labyrinth uh but i mean the, the animatronics the puppetry i mean it's 
amazing. And there's parts where, like, the, the Skeksis, like, disintegrate. Mm-hmm. Like, that stuff's impressive, too. Um, yeah, it's just impressive, you know. Again, like, it's just, like, one of those stepping stones on the way to, like, Jim Henson's studio. Yeah. Like, doing, like, even more amazing stuff as they go, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's my number eight, The Dark Crystal. Uh, my number eight is a repeat as well. It's Conan the Barbarian. Um, growing up, I always loved Schwarzenegger, so I my dad used to sign off on us getting rated R movies at this mom-and-pop video store for, around the corner from his house. So we'd always get this, Commando, Predator, anything with Schwarzenegger, Running Man, Total Recall. Um, so yeah, I just have like a soft spot for Schwarzenegger. And the movie's cool. You know, uh, we already talked about he doesn't really act because he doesn't need to. He really just needs to pose and look cool with a sword and fight monsters and James Earl Jones and um, say cool lines. That's all he really needs to do in it. And he does. And it's fun and violent. And then it decides to be really silly with the second one. Um, I, I, I hope they do a King Conan movie with him. That'd be sweet. And that's my number eight. Better hurry up. <laughs> yep. Zach, number eight. All right. Uh, my number eight doesn't feature Alan Arkin as a wizard, um, but it does fe- feature a wonderful soundtrack, uh, some solid writing, and some very solid performances, all centered around a high school. Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. <laughs> Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> Brad Hamilton, the fast food king. I shall serve no fries before their time. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Charles Jefferson, a man with a mission. Oh, gnarly. Linda Barrett, not exactly the girl next door. Awesome. Totally awesome. And Jeff surfs up Spicoli. People on moods should not drive. See Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So yeah, uh, my number eight is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, it's based off source material by Cameron Crowe. Went undercover as a um, high school student in the late 70s, early 80s to write about what it was like being a high schooler at that time. Um, the result is probably among the more influential high school movies ever made. Um it's very episodic, kind of just goes throughout an entire school year um, with several different eclectic characters. Jennifer Jason Lee is your, uh, your, your kind of like your main POV character, I want to say, for the most part. Um, but you also have people like Judge Reinhold. Um, uh, you have the, the sleazebag character, Mike Damone, um, who um, is just the like it's the definition of toxic masculinity is stuck in Mike Damone's asshole. Um and what a um, weird way to frame that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, hey, what's I, in your asshole, man? <laughs> toxic masculinity. <laughs> 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 he needs a colonic. Yeah. 
There's, he needs a cleanse. Um, but also, this is the breakout role for Sean Penn, who plays Jeff Spicoli, a uh, slacker, stoner dude who ends up having to basically pass his history class when his history teacher, Mr. Hand, comes to his house unannounced and interrupts his time going to the prom. Is that, like, can you imagine your teachers coming to your house and, like... And be like, we're gonna... I'm, you wasted my... Because his logic is, you wasted my time in class, now I'm gonna waste your time before going to prom. <laughs> Get out of here, old man. <laughs> A police? Help? <laughs> like, uh, Spicoli's parents were just like, sure, come on in. Yeah. It was a different time. What's funny, like, Spicoli is, like, he's, like, the goofball, like, fun character, but I think Judge Reinhold is the the star of this film, like, in terms of, like, the the most fun character because he's, like, Brad Hamilton is a guy who really just wants to, like, up his life, and he's getting every inconvenience tossed at him in certain respects. Um, very Dante. Yeah, yes, very Dante, yeah. Like, I, it's, they had it in the trailer, but, like, Mr., if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Um, and, uh, obviously, I think a lot of people remember the, the final scene with Hamilton at the convenience store, and Spicoli comes out after a gunman has hauled up Brad Hamilton and goes, you're all out of paper towels. And then Brad Hamilton just kicks the shit out of that burglar with a coffee pot, and and you hear the line, awesome, totally awesome. All right, Hamilton. Like, it's a fun movie. My dad introduced this film to me, and um, it I've been better for it ever since. The soundtrack is killer. Um, and um, obviously, yes, Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool is iconic for a young man blossoming into manhood, question mark. Um, so that that is an asset in its corner. But um, if you were looking for, like, a kind of like a raw, honest portrayal of high schooler because it's a funny movie, but it's not really focused on being funny all the time. Um, it's at, at least for that time. I'm not saying now, but at that time, it's a fairly honest look at it. So, yeah. So my number eight, Fast Times Original High. Cool, Cran Seven. My number seven is a movie James dislikes. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion. Fear, the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping you. The secret, the love, the warning, the signal, the mystery, the danger. The intrusion, the wonderment, the enchantment, the hope, the connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T., The Extraterrestrial. 
my number seven is E.T. I think it's funny that you're like, oh, I'm really sorry that I'm putting Conan the Barbarian this low. And you put one of the greatest family films of all time at seven. I don't know. I don't have any kind of. And then you scoffed at like Steven Spielberg. Whatever. He's not. He's not one of the most. What what was the line they said in the original original directors all time? So who's better? How about um, like Alfred Hitchcock? Thank you, Corinne. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Derivative pack. Don't you dare. Don't you fucking dare. No, I mean. I mean, I don't like Stanley Kubrick, but I mean, he's done some pretty. Yeah, I know, but I would also say Stanley Kubrick didn't even like Stanley Kubrick. He adapts books. Um, I will say that there is no director that's made a bigger impact on cinema than Steven Spielberg. Um, it's, sorry, yeah, excuse me, what, what about it, Citizen Kane? <laughs> no. 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 That's not what they said. They said the most original. Yeah, exactly. He is. He yeah, is. He you, did bring original properties to the screen. He still does. Jaws. I mean, just in this, they give you Jaws, Close Encounters of Third Kind. E.T. E. 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 is based on a book, so that is kind of true. I, my, 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 my brain like shut off for a second, but did they show anything from Duel? <laughs> no. yeah. Anyways, why is it number I'm, seven, Corinne? I mean, I watched it as a kid maybe a couple of times, but I don't have like any fond memories associated with it. Mm. We never owned it or anything. You and James are right in the same camp I mean, for, I for different dis- reasons. I don't dislike it. I just... Yeah. I'm not in love with it. No, yeah, no. That's how I felt when I rewatched it two years ago. I was like, this movie's fun. It's not my favorite Spielberg thing, yeah, and I leave I'm it at that. Disagree. It's I'll got some nice later. moments. You know, the bike I, riding scene is pretty cool. I like that it gave Peter Coyote a career with Ken Burns later on, but... <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, my number seven is E.T. Ah. E.T., phone home. Brad, number seven. Uh, you've. It yeah. looks like it's a repeat. Uh, my number seven is a repeat. It's Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Nice, because um, yeah, it's the movie where Jason finally gets his awesome mask. Um, it's kind of fun. It's got the three D element, um, sweet disco remix theme. Fucking a. So yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. I learned to appreciate that film more after Doug Loves Movies when they had um, uh, the the lawyer who what, Shelley. played yeah, yeah. She yeah. played Shelley yeah and just kind of learning more about how that production went down <laughs> like that's Larry Zerner yeah no and he yeah. he's really cool if you want to follow him he does entertainment law so he's been really updating the friday 13th legal battle it is in right now Mm -hmm. and why the judge rules a certain way so he's kind of fun to follow and he's a smart guy and he really embraced this movie and he kind of if you listen to the commentary he's really great on it big cheerleader for it yeah Yeah. so yeah it's my number seven friday 13th part three um my number seven is an anthology coming soon Jolting tales of horror. Creep show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. You'll scream, ghastly ghouls. Cringe at weird kids. And shiver the doings of evil doctors. This is going to be extremely painful, Mr. Verrill. Creepshow will grab you, grow on you, and give you the creeps. (laughs) 
Well, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Creepshow, the most fun you'll ever have being scared. Uh, my number seven is Creepshow. Good call. Um, George A. Romero directed from a screenplay from Stephen King. And it's an homage to the EC comics from the 1950s, where all the stories are have somewhat of a comedic tinge to them, but they also have a uh, morality tell to them. You know, it's uh, kids after their dad's fortune, and he comes back as a zombie. And, um, and it has this comic book feel to it, where anything, something violent happens behind them, turns to, like, red or green, um... And it's it's fun. It also set the stage for Tales from the Crypt later on in, on HBO. Um, yeah, I just really like it. It's fun, um, and it's you know anthologies. They a lot of them will always have really strong ones and a couple ones that are okay. Mm-hmm. This one's pretty solid throughout. Maybe the Stephen King like touches the uh, meteorite and grows green moss all over him is probably the weakest one. The rest of them are pretty funny mm-hmm. and. And uh, Tom Savini does the makeup effects in it, and they're all really great. And yeah, it's fun. It's another testament to Romero. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he's. I mean, Romero. Uh, I mean, I, I. I've always said this. Night of Living Dead. I think is the greatest horror film of all time. Right. But he kind of goes into kind of like comedic things with Dawn of the Dead. Day of the Dead is way more serious, but Dawn of the Dead is oh, it's kind hilarious. of the, <laughs> the the ending montage of them in the mall is fantastic. Oh yeah, or where you know the zombies are falling. <laughs> trying to go up the escalator and stuff yeah and, um but yeah it's fun yeah pick up creep show there's a really great scream factory deluxe edition of it zach number seven my number seven is a film that i haven't seen in a long long time but i have a strong memory of seeing it before it became a little bit more readily available um at the new beverly and um it has it it's it's pretty darn crazy so here's the trailer for it from the director who brought you Smokey and the Bandit, Hooper, Cannonball Run, comes the ultimate spectacle. Megaforce, an elite compact fighting unit armed with the most sophisticated weapons ever seen on a movie screen. The mission to preserve freedom and justice and battle the forces of evil. The good guys always win. Even in the 80s. Megaforce. But my number seven is Megaforce. Uh, Hal Needham's uh, futuristic <laughs> elite military group movie. Um, so like when a government can't do the job that, uh, um, uh, that you need done, you get the Megaforce. Um, and you get Ace Hunter for the job. Barry Postwick. Um it's it's a goofy movie filled with like very ambitious set design and vehicles that aren't always spectacular but Hal Needham is a master of filming stunts. Um he is smoking the bandit Hooper like he he worked as a stuntman prior to becoming a director so you can at least be guaranteed when you watch it that you're going to watch like a nice stunt spectacle filled with plenty of explosions and cr- crazy stuff that from a safety practical perspective, we don't do today. Um, but I, I was, I had never heard of this film until 
I went to I went to L.A. to go to my grandfather's funeral and found out about this screening, and I had never been to the New Beverly, so I went. And Hal Needham was there, so we got to meet Hal Needham and watch a Q&A with him afterward. So it was like one of those positive New Beverly experiences where I'm like, the film is not a great film, but the experience of watching it for the first time, like it has a special place in my heart because of that. So I, I wanted to kind of talk about it. If you've never seen it, I do recommend it from the from the perspective of like, you know how like everybody tries to, to pull off some kind of Mad Max world no. or some kind, never. like some kind of post-apocalyptic future zone or they don't they're not quite able to reach the heights of a Star Wars or a Blade Runner and whatnot, but you love watching them try. Like that's what I get out of this film. So obviously it doesn't have the same uh finesse that a Road Warrior does, but I still quite enjoy it. Um if any it's weird because it's a twentieth century Fox film, but in a in a more ideal world it would have been a canon movie. Like and it would have been even stupider. <laughs> but like somehow it kind of levels out. So, yeah, my number seven is Megaforce um, with Barry Bostwick, who I think I got obsessed with him a year later because he ended up being in that FDR American Badass movie where FDR fights werewolves. Um, so, like my my Barry Bostwick, which exposure. is historically accurate, I, it is. He did fight werewolves, just like Abe, Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah, yeah, That's all exactly. Historical. And then the same guy who played Andrew Secretary of War Stanton in Lincoln uh, also played. Uh, his second in command and went, it's Franklin Delano Roosevelt, motherfucker. <laughs> but anyway, number seven, Megaforce. Fun movie. Check it out, folks. Yeah, Brad, number six. Oi. Oh, Corinne. Sorry, six. <laughs> Tell us what other movies just okay. My number six is a repeat. It's The Secret of Nim. Mm. I rewatched this the other night and... I mean, some aspects of it, I think, are really well done. I like the darker tone and the kind of mystical and mysterious sort of setting it throws you into and just kind of like, what exactly is going on? You just see this shot of like a rat, like a couple of rats, like carrying a power cord out of a house into this rose bush. And you're like, what the shit is going on? Mm-hmm. And then oh, they you know, Rizzo the rat. He's a good rat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just picking up my conversation from an I, hour I mean, he ago. does team up with Gonzo in several different get-rich-quick yeah. schemes, though. Like the lamp, not the red! Not the red! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Jeremy, who's playing by uh, Don DeLuise, like, he gets a little grating. Like, he, he could have been in the movie, but just maybe not as much as they put him in the movie. Because he does get kind of annoying after a while. What do you mean I'm annoying? It's, it's almost like he had to be in there just so it's like, oh, you know, for the kids, like just so they don't get too scared all of a sudden. Because it is, it does get pretty, pretty heavy and scary there at the end. That is a fair point. If you need to make sure that children won't be too freaked out, you send in Dom DeLuise to do the job. Splinter, that's another good rat. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> See. And Pizza Rat. Yeah. That rat that drug the pizza slice through the subway that's a good yeah rat. he's yeah. a good man mm-hmm. all, all he wants is lunch maybe he was taking it to splinter oh. i'm gonna make an animated film where the rats and the weasels are good guys i'd argue that the rats and willard are good rats because they eventually turn but well i mean they're being used to kill people so but yeah but not. willard's the asshole not the the rat that was in ant-man's truck and totally oh, yeah. helped us save the universe totally totally 
He knew what button he was pressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I'll say is, like, at the very end, it gets pretty, de- pretty grim because you know the final conflict is, um, like the the mom. What's, what's her name? Mrs. Frisbee? Miss Frisbee, yeah. Yeah, Mrs. Frisbee. She's like trying to move her house because stupid Timmy. Fucking Timmy is sick and he can't <laughs> be moved. So they have to move the whole house because Timmy can't be moved. And then um, they move the house, but there's an accident that happens. And then the house starts sinking into the mud and all the kids are trapped inside. So I'm like, so this mom of four is just going to like watch all of her kids die. Isn't that great? But then there's the Deus Ex Machina, and everybody's fine at the end, except for stupid Timmy, who's a piece of shit. Especially if you see the second one, he really is a piece of shit. So fuck Timmy. <laughs> the the rat at the end of the Departed is a good rat because he didn't do any killing. He just walked across a, a balcony. Anyway, my number <laughs> six is the Secret of Nim. Brad, your number six. My number six, I think, is a. You had that eye of the tiger, man, the edge. And now you've got to get it back. And the way to get it back is to go back to the beginning. You know what I mean? United Artists and Chartoff Winkler proudly present Rocky Three. The worst thing happened to you that could happen to any fighter, you got civilized. Get out of here, will you? The truth is, we both started out on the same corner, and I got lucky with my life, and it's driving you nuts. Philadelphia salutes its favorite son, Rocky Balboa. Why don't you tell all these nice folks why you've been ducking me? This guy is a wrecking machine. You know, you've got a big mouth. Why don't you come out and close it, Balboa? Come on. I want to fight this guy. You fight him without me. Balboa was a fine champion, but his time has passed. See that look in their eyes, Rock? Gotta get that look back, Rock. Eye the tiger, come on. I will destroy any man who tries to take what I got. I'm gonna torture him. I'm gonna crucify him real bad. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid. Damn, Rock, come on! There's nothing wrong with being afraid. You thought I was tough? This jump will kill you. You wake up after a few years thinking you're a winner, but you're not. There is no tomorrow. You're really a loser. Well, I don't believe it. There is no Rocky's greatest challenge to save his honor, his marriage, and his manhood against his most devastating and dangerous opponent. Bust you up. Go for it. Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burgess Meredith, Carl Weathers, Burt Young, and introducing Mr. T. Rocky III, an American tradition. Yeah, so Ryan and I are tag-teaming Rocky Three for our number six slot. So if you take the two threes and put them together, that equals six. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I was just saying, I actually really like this movie a lot because it it deals with when you become too big and you you lose sight of what's important to you. And it's kind of a, a... a reboot for Rocky, you know, he's he lives he believes his own hype, it really. 
Yeah. And he needs he needs a challenger like Mr. T. This guy, Clever Lang, comes in and challenges him, and Rocky's like, I'm out. And then Mickey dies, and then he doesn't have a trainer anymore, so he's got to turn to his former rival, Apollo Creed. Yeah. And he, he goes back to basics. Mm-hmm. And then they... Yeah, no, I, I think the movie's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's silly, but it's... It's, it's got Survivor's cool. Eye of the Tiger, the theme yeah, song. Eye of the yeah. Tiger, which is funny because now it's always associated with Rocky, just like Jason's Mask. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it took three movies to get to its signature theme. And it's, no, it's awesome. I, I, I watched the Rocky movies recently. They're fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you mean, the only mistake they made is they challenged a rush in the next movie. <laughs> yeah, but then he ended the Cold War, Ryan. That is true. Did you watch the director's cut yet no <laughs> i think it's on amazon or something is it? Yeah. i'll have to check it out i would love to know though because i know we're friends with sly what does he have to say about rocky three well you know i trained really hard and sometimes you just gotta take it to the ring you know what was it like working with carl weathers you know we shook hands we both have big <laughs> muscles and you know you gotta fight did you? Uh, is it true that you punched Burgess Meredith in the face once offset? That's what fucking killed him. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Spencer Stallone just admitted to a crime on our podcast. Should, should, should I cut that out? How does it feel <laughs> killing a Golden Age Hollywood legend? He had it coming. You know, I, I took him out back and I was like, you on ice, Penguin. <laughs> He's like, I See, don't deserve this indignity. I used to be in Lubitsch. <laughs> <laughs> See, he was in the 66 Batman. I don't know if you guys know this. Yeah. He was? Yeah. Yeah. As had a penguin. Had henchmen that disappeared into what dimension? We don't know, Brad. <laughs> in that classic penguin plot line of running for mayor. <laughs> <laughs> that then Tim Burton took. and gave No, but I actually really that. like the Rocky series. I yeah. think they're really fun. Yeah. And I think that's a fun movie. It's, it's not one of the best Rockies, but it's... It's a fun one. I find it better than four, but that's just me. Well, four is like paper thin. Yeah. Plot. yeah. It's like they just said like, hey, he's going to fight a Russian, you know, for America. And that that's. Well, I mean, yeah, the big thing is, is what the Russian does. Yeah. Apollo Creed is kind of. And it's, sets. and it's a, it's a crucial moment in the rock. It's a, one of the crucial moments of the emotional core of Rocky taking on Creed. Like it, it helps build their relationship prior to. His death and then Creed happening and whatnot. So. I mean, it is a great idea that they brought Creed back to train Apollo, or to train Rocky. Yeah. yeah. When I had no friends, he was my one friend. You know? What was that like working with Michael B. Jordan? <laughs> Talented kid, you know? I said, Sunday, son, we'll both be in the MCU, you know? Right on. <laughs> now explain Last Blood to me. Why the fuck did you do that? <laughs> I wanted to kill lots of people, you know? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Zach, number six. All right. My number six is a movie directed by Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. (laughs) You are so unlucky. With their three children. And something more. Hello. They're here. Yeah. Sweetie, remember last night? Do you remember when you woke up and you said you were here? Uh-huh. 
tag team in a horror movie cool yeah our number six is poltergeist well your number six my number five ah gotcha right on so poltergeist is the story about how james karen's an asshole who doesn't bother to dig up bodies um when and just moves tombstones instead and as a result this family moves into a house that is possessed by angry native american spirits so um let it that's a lesson to you james karen never knew how to dig up actual graves and move them uh but uh, no, it's it's one of the premier horror films of the 80s. Um, uh, and the reason for my little outburst up front is that I do not believe that Toby Hooper had virtually nothing to do with the film. I'm pretty sure that Toby Hooper directed the film because there are a lot of wonderful moments that I feel like Hooper can handle just fine. But I, I get why there are stories of Spielberg kind of taking on some more hands-on approach with it well it looks like he was one of the screenwriters yeah he helped develop the story yeah yeah Yeah. and he was Spielberg said that hooper directed it yeah he did yeah but there's there's people who are on the set that claim that spielberg directed it and not hooper so anyway long story short though it's a very wonderfully effective creepy film i actually didn't watch it all the way through for the longest time uh, because my sister and i were shown it because it was playing on tv when we were in a hotel and we were just at the point when he starts tearing off his face, and that's when I ran outside. My sister stayed in and watched it. And then years later, I watched all the way through, and it's just, it's tons of fun. The special effects in it are wonderful, especially when the house gets sucked in and whatnot. Um, but it's it's just a solid horror movie, and I, I, I wish that, I, I've always wondered why we couldn't get a film that has that kind of like balance of Spielberg in touch with Hooper touch before until we got the it chapter one and two that came out not too long ago. Um, so yeah, it, if uh, anybody hasn't seen this already, it's about high time you do. And Zelda Rubenstein as the medium is fantastic. Like she's iconic in that film. So yeah. Corinne, why do you like this film? Um, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but in high school, I was a freshman, and I had kind of like a spooky movie night. I invited a bunch of friends over, and we watched this in the basement. 
and it got kind of spooky. But, you know, when you watch it with friends, it's like a different energy and everybody was like, you know, laughing at it and making fun of it. You know, lighthearted, you know, good, good sort you know, mm-hmm. not like demeaning, just more of like, hey, we're just trying to make fun of it so we can all... <laughs> We watched that and something else. I think it was like Contagion. I don't remember. Something to do with like a virus or something. But Outbreak. Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, I just remember watching it with friends and having a good time. And like you said, the special effects on it are really impressive. That shot of them like getting sucked into the little vortex in the house and everybody's like flying around. That's pretty impressive still. Yeah. So your number six, my number five, Poltergeist. Spooky. Mm-hmm. Brad, halfway there. Uh, yeah, my number four uh, is kind of revolutionary for his time. It's five. <laughs> the NCOM 511 computer. Center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. Within it, there exists an unknown civilization where man has never been. A startling new world where time and distance defy the laws of logic. I still do not understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man, somewhere in one of these memories is the evidence. Kevin Flynn, computer genius, searching for answers inside the system. Hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about. Stop, I'm warning you. I'm going to have to put you on the game, Brent. Propelled into the digital world of the computer itself. Oh, man, this isn't happening. It only thinks it's happening. Hey, there's been a mistake. i got to see the guy in charge. You will. Who's that guy? That's Schwann. Trapped inside an electronic arena where love and escape do not compute. The journey begins across an electronic sea cycles made of light its world this summer so yeah my number four i I mean five (laughs) is uh tron um one of the earliest examples of cgi in uh cinema was Uh, it what this and star trek 2 actually i can't remember like it it was a big flop but didn't it have some form of respect when it came out or was it pretty much universally panned 
I think the respect came from the fact that it was like doing CGI for the first time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, story-wise, it's, I mean, if you've seen Tron Legacy, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, I, I love the, that more because, obviously, it's way more refined and stuff. But, um, yeah, uh, Kevin Flynn makes a computer program. Uh, they can, uh, or his boss tries to steal, and so he tries to steal it back, and uh, he gets sucked into it and has to find his way out and becomes part of the game. Mm-hmm. That's that's Tron. Yeah, yeah, Tron to me is more innovative than it is a good movie. Yeah, um, it looks cool, and it's definitely in trapped in its time, but it's it's fun. But, I mean, yeah. it gained a cult following, even oh, yeah. though it was a bomb initially. Yeah, Daft Punk saw this and made an entire career out of it. <laughs> I remember, uh, I think it was that San Diego con we went to. They did a Race to Witch Mountain preview, mm-hmm. and they said, stick around, don't go anywhere. We're yeah, going to show you when something. they pulled out the Tron stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah thanks for explaining it for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was there the same year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was cool to see like the, the new version that they were making. And, yeah. Um, how much more polished it was. So, uh, yeah, Tron, my number five. Got it. <laughs> my number five is a repeat. It's First Blood. Nice. Um, I mean, Zach drew First Blood, so now I'm <laughs> now I gotta what set you, traps. What for are you gonna him. be like, Colonel Troutman, and try to talk me off this yeah. ledge? Don't push it. Hey Sly, what are you gonna do to Zach for putting it so low on his list? You know, uh, pull him out of a helicopter. I don't know. Um, no, it's it's an interesting film. It's really well made. Uh, it's it deals with PTSD in an, uh, a very unique way and how um, people who came back from Vietnam were treated. My dad uh, felt the same way. My dad was in the Navy during Vietnam, and back then, for some reason, the troops were maligned, even though they're just following orders. Mm-hmm. And this kind of sheds light into it. And um, if you're looking for another movie that deals with PTSD, that's kind of shocking. Is 1932's The Eagle and the Hawk with Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really fascinating about the toll it takes on people. Um, Frederick March plays a uh, a pilot, and he's struggling with killing um, the Germans because they're kids. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in the same vein as you just... The toll of war it takes on people is really brutal. And when it's done sophisticatedly and, in a, and for everybody to kind of absorb it is always fascinating to me and the way he adapts to the environment around him as if he's back in the jungle like it's, yeah it's, it's very like stark to watch it is and it is you know a total whiplash when you go to first blood too mm. because people looked at rambo as now he's like this american hero he's not you know uh washed out <laughs> vietnam vet he's he's a hero and then they changed his trajectory mm. and it, it's a tribute to sylvester stallone and making a charismatic person who you might not like right away, but you sympathize with him throughout this journey on this film. You grow onto his side as the movie yeah, goes on. Yeah, because um, fucking Brian Dennehy, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Plus, like, Rambo was supposed to kill himself in the yeah. original cut. Yeah. So there never would have been sequels, but yeah. Yeah, it's a, it is interesting how they kind of change the trajectory of it by showing that ending to test screen audiences. They go, we don't want him to die. And they change the ending because of it. Uh, so yeah, no, I really like the film. Um it is the <laughs> the Rambo series is all over the place, but there are actually like all of them, uh, even the weaker ones, Rambo three and last blood, I still think are kind of fun. Um, but yeah, number five, first blood, Zach, number five, 
All right. My number five uh, is a film from Brooks Films. It was 1954. Television was live. And Benji Stone landed the job of his dreams as a TV comedy writer. Alice, what are we seeing? Alan Swan's movies. It was the year Hollywood's greatest hero swashbuckled his way onto live TV and into Benji's life. He's blasted. Good God, it's Renfield. I thought he was dead. Swan better be at every rehearsal sober or it's your neck. They've asked me to stay with you and help you over some of the rough spots. Like showing up? That's one. Another is not passing out. What sort of heroic idiot am I this time? A musketeer idiot. I read that on the airplane. Very funny. Very good. I wrote that. Did you? Bravo, Stan. Bravo. Have a go in the store, Club. We'll be two for dinner. Oh, no, Mr. Swan. This is exactly the way it started last time. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to watch you. Good. Watch this. Now, all we have to do is to get from here... There. I'm going down now. Oh, have a lunch. Five minutes to air. This is places, people. Sure, this is live television. Live. What are you doing? Streaking and leaving. Take it. So. I'm afraid. Flesh and blood, life size, no larger. I'm not that silly damn hero I never was. To me, you were. You couldn't have convinced me unless you had that courage. Nobody's that good an actor. I'm not an actor, I'm a movie star. Alan Swan may have been the worst person to look up to. But it was the best time Benji ever had. It's 30 years for this. My favorite year. Yeah, my number five is my favorite year. Um, is 1982 your favorite year? No, but this movie is my favorite year featuring the word year in it, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, um, no, it's, um, it's from Brooks Films. Um, really lifting off of Brooks's time working off of, on your show of shows. Um, and it deals with an Errol Flynn-type figure, Alan Swan, coming on to, to the show to make an appearance and the chaos that ensues from it. Um, I didn't find out about this movie until after Peter O'Toole passed away. Um, and then I uh, dug it up and watched it, and mm-hmm. I was very enamored by it. <laughs> After, well, I first dug up Errol Flynn's corpse, and then I dug up Peter O'Toole's corpse, and I made him watch it with me. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of those films where if you appreciate the work of Mel Brooks or even the work of Carl Reiner and what they were doing on your show of shows, like it, it really salutes and homages that and. Um, it's got a really sweet heart to it, and <laughs> Richard Benjamin, who directed it, is a guy who I, I kind of wish had like done even more off of this in this vein um, as a director, because he kind of swerved into more 
broader silly comedic fair like Saturday the 14th and whatnot, but he's he directs a solid emotionally warm film that I think anybody can get behind. So if you haven't seen it, I would check it out. It's utterly fantastic. Peter O'Toole got an Oscar nomination for this, and frankly, I thought should have won for it because it's it's fantastic in it. It's it's remarkable. And I know you were saying like, is that Peter O'Toole? Like, if you like Peter O'Toole, you might want to check this out because it's one of the most like broad and like kind of like a like it's one of those emotionally vulnerable performances that you're like just thrilled to see i mean he's amazing in ratatouille and he's great in how to steal a million with audrey hepburn mm-hmm. so yeah you have fun with this one he's playing like an errol flynn type figure and it really captures that kind of like flynn persona very well so so yeah my favorite year number five i'm actually surprised you might have i thought you might have seen this movie before so nope put it on your list oh no you'd like it yeah you would like it looks I good you would. yeah Corinne, number four. My number four is a musical. The sun'll come out tomorrow, so you gotta hang on till tomorrow. In today's troubled world, it's nice to know there's still someone you can count on. All right, who's next? Annie. It's the rags-to-riches story everyone knows. It's the songs everyone loves. It's the movie everyone's waiting for. It's Annie. It's the hard knock life for us. It's the hard knock life for us. Stand a treat and we get treats. Stand a says we get treats. It's the hard knock life. Where's Annie? She had to go bathroom. She had to go bathroom. Little girls, little girls, everywhere I turn, I can see them. Annie, how would you like to spend a week with Mr. Warbucks at his house? Oliver Warbucks, the millionaire? Oh, no, Oliver Warbucks, the billionaire. Leaping lizards! Leaping lizards! The swimming pool is down the stairs. Inside the house? Oh, boy! The tennis court is... In the rear. I never even picked up a rocket. I think I'm gonna like it. I'm a businessman. I love money. I love power. I love capitalism. I do not now and never will love children. Blow it out, your old wazoo. I might learn to like her. Hang her in my bathroom. Oh, my goodness. I want to talk to you about Annie. I want to adopt her. Annie. Starring Albert Finney as Daddy Warbucks. I love you, Daddy Warbucks. I don't need sunshine now to turn my skies to blue. I don't need anything but you. Carol Burnett as Miss Hannigan. We love you, Miss Hannigan. Shut up. Bernadette Peters. And Tim Curry. As the kidnappers. Oh, sir, we we're just so thrilled to have found Annie. Annie is the key. We got Annie. And Ranking as Miss Farrell. We got Annie. We got Annie. We've got Annie. Jeffrey Holder as Punjab. Edward Herman as FDR. Be proud to be Americans. That's a swell idea. Sandy as himself. 
and introducing Aileen Quinn. Weeping lizards. As Annie. I didn't want to be just another orphan, Mr. Warbucks. I wanted to believe I was special. You are special. Never stop believing that. She's the child in all of us. She'll put a song in your heart and a smile on your face. She's Annie. So my number four is Annie. This was the version I watched the most as a kid. So it definitely has a special place in my heart. And honestly, this is just an all-star cast. You got Albert Finney as Daddy Warbucks. You got, uh, you know, Tim Curry, Bernadette Peters, Carol Burnett as the kind of villains of the film. And they're all fabulous. So, yeah, it's such a great movie. And I watched this the other day and it's really held up. Maybe there are a couple of numbers that go on a little too long, but... I mean, everybody's having a good time. And when I went to Warner Brothers Studios, I got to see one of the exteriors that they used nice. on the Main Street or whatever they called it. They're kind of faux New York setting. Yeah, there are a couple of bits that are a little racist because they have uh, Punjab and Punjab, yeah. the Asp. And they both get this like really like ugh, racist, stereotypical music cues and things like that. And I'm like, ooh, that's a little awkward. But, I mean... 95% of the movie is unproblematic. <laughs> so, mm. anyway, Annie, a John Huston film. I didn't know that. Yep. It's one of those films I made for them so that I could make Under the Volcano with Albert Finney for me. <laughs> like, yeah, this, it's, this is a period in Houston's career where he was like, he was alternating between one for them, one for me, but he was also getting up in years. Like, he doesn't last too much longer after this. And mm. I believe he was directing this film pretty close to like a chair, like, with an air with um oxygen machine on him because he was pretty close to out the door you probably had to wheel him around like they do with fdr in the movie yeah i mean it wouldn't surprise me i might be thinking more about like when he was making the dead because there's clear footage of that but he was definitely up in years so you can tell though even though this is probably a film he's making for them like he still puts a lot of like hard ass oh yeah a lot yeah. of the musical numbers especially those with the kids mm -hmm. i'm like i i feel so bad for that director that choreographer because i wouldn't want to have to deal with like 60 kids filming this musical number for weeks on end he'd probably put fear into them before they went on camera <laughs> i'm sure they were all very professional about it but yeah anyway it's a great movie annie sure I'll just be thinking about tomorrow when you keep talking about it. Well, that's only, uh, a, day only a day away. Yep. Uh, Brad, your number four it must be a repeat. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a tag team, too. It, mine's E.T. Is yours E.T.? E. Yeah. Too. Yeah, <laughs> see? See? That's where it deserves to be because um, a lot of people think E.T. is uh, centered around the alien and his relationship with... Uh, with the kids, but it's actually a story about being divorced and growing up in a family like that and looking just to belong. And well, I know what that's like. Oh, yeah, me too. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just me. Just you. Um, and it's a really sweet film. I, I mean, I know James says it's the scariest film of all time, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's a really sweet film. And Spielberg has this way about how he makes films 
whether it's Raiders of Lost Ark or E.T. or even if you go forward in his career at the Terminal, where you have characters that you just adore mm-hmm. and there's there's a sense that there's always someone in his films that you can relate to. And, you know, Elliot in that, when I was a kid, my parents were divorced and you always look for uh, something that you can relate to and the struggles that he goes through and just wanting a friend and, um, and then losing that friend and, but realizing what's best for that friend is I think a valuable lesson to learn. And it's, and it doesn't matter because like, he'll be right there. Like, and I'm not saying that as a joke, like it's like this lovely sentiment at the end. Yeah. And I, I think that it's, it's lost in this, um, story about an alien. It's it's really about a family and D Wallace struggling as a single mom, and I mean that alien rocks like oh yeah no it's and great. it drinks beer <laughs> and and it helps sell Reese's pieces you know it's what it does yeah exactly Brad how to get to number four on yours yeah it's just one of those cinema classics I grew up with um, one of the earliest video cassettes I remember having I remember um, the MCA MCA one where it was like the gray borders was mine it was a really early one oh wow no mine uh, like the actual tape itself had the green flip oh wow part. yeah i remember that um yeah maybe just... i got the poor version because i was my mom and dad were divorced <laughs> <laughs> we get it we fucking get it just imagining there's a uh you know at blockbuster whatever there's like two sections of <laughs> et tapes there's like families <laughs> divorced <laughs> happy families divorced families yeah um, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan tries to take one off the happy shelf, and the clerk goes, "No, yeah. no, no, no!" Just hauls him out of the store, <laughs> kicks him out. Uh, it's just one of those films I think too that resonates with a lot of people. I mean, it, I mean when it was first released, it made four hundred eight million dollars. I don't yeah. know how much that is now, but uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I knew it at one point, but I might be pushing a Yeah, no matter where you are in the universe, you'll, you there's a friend for you out there. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just a great uh, small story about a kid finding a best friend. Yep. Um, and those damn government people. Yeah, sticking it to the government. Ruining everything. Um, yeah, just it's, I don't know, it's just one of the cinema classics. I haven't watched it in a while, but. Um, it's hard in films like uh, E.T. and even, you know, uh, Casablanca or something. Like, How do you equate it to how you feel watching? Because they're so well known. Uh, I mean, everybody remembers phone home, but they don't remember the the meat of the story um one billion one hundred and ninety nine million five hundred and forty five thousand three hundred and sixty seven dollars and eighty eight cents yeah i think it's one of the highest grossing movies of all time adjusted for inflation Mm -hmm. so yeah and it's still behind like gone with the wind (laughs) yeah um yeah Yeah. that's because of the road show there's something about like Mm -hmm. the spielberg magic in that era just like oh yeah is i i'll see any spielberg film yeah easy yeah. 1941 yeah okay it's a fun film i just yeah. i know not everybody likes it i think it's i've seen okay. them all now uh, I, yeah i have because i saw sugarland express I'm recently still behind on minority report and that's it no, i have seen minority report. Oh, oh and the I bfg and the bfg i still haven't watched bfg minority get Report's out. awesome leave your own home get out go home <laughs> Get out, <laughs> Zach. Oh, and f- also the real nerds did a fantastic. Uh, we did, yeah. Episode two, uh, dissection of it in episode two. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when I put very smart, flour very... all over me, and it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking dying, James. <laughs> uh, Zach, number four. Uh, my number four um, is a film that inspired somebody named Todd Phillips to make a Joker movie. 
And what I'm thinking is I'm sitting here now, well, maybe this is my big break. This is my big chance, you know what I mean? You don't just walk on to a network show without experience. Now, I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know, that's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. So will you please give your warmest greetings to the newest king of comedy, Rupert Pupkin. His name is Rupert Pupkin. He lives in a world of make-believe. Oh, Jerry, I love this guy. Always coming up with these great lines. I love him. I love him. Nobody can remember his name. Mr. Pipkin. Mr. Pupnik. Mr. Puffer. Rupert. Pupkin, P-U-P-K-I-N. But by 11.30 tonight, the whole world will know that Rupert Pupkin is the new king of comedy. Robert De Niro. Jerry Lewis. In a Martin Scorsese picture. The king of comedy. So yeah, uh, my number four is The King of Comedy. Uh, it's uh, a film by James's favorite director, Martin Scorsese. Um, uh, that follows Rupert Pupkin, who's uh, like a, he's living in a daydream world of wanting to be a successful comedian uh, like his idol, played by Jerry Lewis. Uh, and it's a dark tale of the mind that leads to him kidnapping Jerry Lewis's character and uh, essentially hijacking the talk show. Um, it's... Um, it's it's a it's a disturbing film to watch um and one that it's a scorsese film i don't go back to that often because it is that kind of like cringy unnerving but um it is very expertly handed with its tension um i i actually like it the more i think about it in relation to joker because the my reappreciation of it came after joker came out and wanting to go back to the sources of taxi driver and king of comedy and uh it actually the more i think about king of comedy and what todd phillips did with that for joker the more i appreciate joker because he is trying to kind of capture what scorsese was working with thematically and setting it in the gotham world um so in a sense it's 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 kind of wonderful to watch somebody use a comic book film that has the template of a two Scorsese movies like that. And De Niro is wonderful in this film. Like he always gets pigeonholed in these roles of like either the, like the, the loner psychotic and taxi driver or just a flat out gangster character, like in name any movie here. But like here, he's just like this fucking like loser loner who has this like big daydream that some, anybody, anybody can claim they have, but he just takes it way too far. Um, and the scenes where he is pretending that he is on the couch talking with everybody like it's 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 wonderful to see how scorsese handles that madness um so yeah i i know it's not the most exciting of films it does drag a little bit um but it is kind of a i think it's something worth watching especially if you enjoyed joker and want to know where todd phillips was lifting off of um just to see for comparison's sake you may not like the movie but i'd hope you can appreciate what it's bringing to the table and jerry lewis I think he's an asshole in life, but he was a, he was fucking excellent in this film. Um, it's yeah. I remember all that money he raised for handicapped kids. Fuck them. Remember how racist he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but remember those handicapped kids. I do remember, and I and I and I appreciate every moment of time that he gave to that. But kind of a shitty human being. Anywho, number four, King of Comedy. Corinne, number three. 
Uh, my number three is probably time to rip off the band-aid. I need your deck. This is a bad one. The worst yet. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants. Three male, three female. They slaughtered 20... A Blade Runner's job is to hunt down replicants. Manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing. What's this? Roy Batty. Probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants that superhuman. The Terrell Corporation. Dr. Eldon Tyrell. I don't get it, Tyrell. Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. I was looking for six replicants in a city of 106 million people. You ever seen this girl, huh? Never seen Buzzlove. What I didn't know was they were looking for me. Questions. I just do eyes. Just genetic design. Just eyes. Hello? I'm in a bar here now, down in the fourth sector. Why don't you come on down here and have a drink? That's not my kind of place. Time to die. If I didn't care, more than words can say. If I didn't care, would I feel this way? Excuse me, Miss Salome, can I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> you for real. He's a damn one-man slaughterhouse. I'm going home. My number three and Brad's number three is Blade Runner. I almost said 2049 at the end. <laughs> no, just the OG Blade Runner. Uh, such a beautiful movie. It, it really takes its time. And, you know, watching it as like a teenager, I think I was a little bored by it the first time. But I appreciate more its layers as I've gotten older. And, of course, it has Rucker Hauer in it. And he is sexy as hell. Along with Harrison Ford. Man. The star power in this movie is just off the charts. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's 
it's got a really nice atmosphere and I, I like that and admittedly it has different cuts of the film but at least in some of those cuts it does make you question whether um, he is a replicant as well mm-hmm. so Brad what about you why do you like it yeah, I don't care for that argument at all I think it's just people reading too much into well, I mean, what they want of it's us. ambiguous <laughs> I guess I don't know if it's it was even like presented to be ambiguous in the first place I think it's just people reading into what they want to make something deeper than it is um yeah, I've actually don't mind the narrate, narrated cut. Like, like maybe it's less artistic, but um, each time I didn't know what was going on either way. <laughs> a lot of times, uh, I've seen it a couple times now, so I know a little bit more what's going on in the movie uh, now. But uh, yeah, it's just the atmosphere is great. Um, the mood. Um, yeah, it's just classic sci-fi. Uh, when Ridley was at the top of his game for sci-fi. Uh, back then and uh, yeah it's just a cool movie yeah Blade Runner he runs blades <laughs> I mean doesn't that title just sound cool as hell though oh no it's an awesome title I mean, I, he's awesome. I'm just sad that there's no electric sheep in the movie it's, I think that's a shame yeah or any androids dreaming of them for that matter maybe in the sequel there's no guy named Philip or no guy named Kay or no guy named Dick why are you looking for a dick? <laughs> for my own reasons, Brad. <laughs> Just because they didn't show you any of that stuff doesn't mean it wasn't there. Sam. That is true. I'm pretty sure Rutger Howard's a very does have arty a and subtle movie. <laughs> uh, my number three is a remake. Itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? We can beat one of those things! My number three is John Carpenter's The Thing, and uh, it is some of the best practical work you'll see in film. Um, it also uh, it, it gets lumped into a sci-fi horror um, hybrid film, but it's also a film about who do you trust and is uh, there's a lot of paranoia associated mm-hmm. with the film. But, I mean, the most tense scene to me, uh, I'm sure it's later in Zach's list, uh, is they're doing blood tests to see if the thing is in them. And so they all are looking in the microscope and there's really not much going on. 
it's just really well paced, really well directed, really well acted. Um, he holds on. He holds yeah. on that moment too, like for a while before anything like truly happens with the blood test. Yeah, and it's it's just really well done. Um, it kind of sounds like the Twilight Zone, like a couple of those yeah, episodes. It, yeah, no, so it's from. Would I like it. Oh well. Um, I I think you would, but just be prepared for the practical effects. Yeah, I mean it's it's really gruesome. Yeah, but the paranoia and what it deals with because it, it's the the original is the thing from outer space or yeah it's um, it, but it's based on a novella and they they really tried to hit home with the novella mm-hmm. concept rather than what howard hawks did yeah so it's it's yeah it's like a paranoia thriller really mixed in i mean the practical effects are pretty brutal mm-hmm. um but they're they're it's not like you're bombarded with them uh they are shocking though i mean there's like stretching legs and the dog and it's, um, it's sort of like it's been described as Lovecraftian before. Like if you've seen what a Lovecraftian design kind of looks like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that. And Rob Bottin did all of that out of like virtually nothing. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, if you, it's like it's like a mystery, um, mm-hmm. and I mean, it ends on a downer. Um, yeah, it's because it's the first of his apocalypse trilogy. Yeah. yeah, so there's. I think it's really rushed. Like it jumps around pretty quickly. Yeah, like you'll be focusing on one thing and then. It'll like jump ahead it's like an of, hour and you'll be like, what? It jumps ahead an hour? What? It sort of does that to fool you too because you have to keep guessing like who's the thing. So yeah. It, I think it does that intentionally. It, yeah. It's a, it's really well done. I, um, if you've, if you've never seen it and you're interested in it, the Scream Factory release is really good. Oh, uh, oh, that's like one of the most packed fucking sets. Yeah. And, and Brad, right. They just put it out on 4k, but it's just the movie is 4k. Um, it doesn't come with any bonus features because universal hates me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's cause universal, uh, has the rights to it. And they don't have the rights to the, probably the bonus features would be my guess. And it's a way to keep the, it in the, I think they still have terror take shape, which is the yeah. big, like it's, it has one of the best making of documentaries ever made. For oh yeah. Film, no, it's down. It's really cool. Um, yeah. So Corinne, to answer your question, if you can get past, the blood and guts and the practical effects. I, I think you'd like it. I'll loan it to you. You don't have a Blu-ray player, do you? No. Oh yeah. Okay, then I'll loan it to you. Just take it home tonight. You'll, you'll like it. Yeah. So yeah, the paranoia is really great in it, mm. and Kurt Russell's awesome in it. I, you know, he, I he like Kurt Russell. Reminds me of Chris Pratt. Yeah. Have you seen? They kind of have a resemblance. Yeah, man. If only. I don't know. I, I, thought, I think their egos are too big though to be related. I always thought Chris Pratt looked more like Rachel Rooker than anybody else, but that's <laughs> just me. I mean, maybe. I mean, he Hello was his—he wasn't his father, but he was his daddy. <laughs> yep. Zach, number three. All right, my number three. Um, I mentioned Carl Reiner earlier. This is probably in my top five of the films Carl Reiner ever directed. Steve Martin, M. Rigby Reardon in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Will two hundred dollars be enough in advance, Mister Reardon? 200 I'd shoot my grandmother. No criminal is too tough for him. No pain is too great. Where'd you learn that? At camp. No joke. Too disgusting. Do I look like a dame? Not as much as I do. I haven't turned on the charm yet. He'll laugh in the face of danger. He'll dace in the fange of laughter. I'm on an important case. I need your help. These people we're dealing with are killers. Oh, thanks for telling me. Say something like, uh, no, no, Ma, look, listen to me. No, Ma, look, listen to me. He'll do anything.
anything in the quest for the elusive Academy Award. Sorry. You'll get action, romance, danger, sliding, animal impressions, Oof. comedy, 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 and drama. When Steve Martin, Rachel Ward, Carl Reiner, and Steve Martin find out why dead men don't wear plaid. You're through. What a guy. I think that's impressive. The people who brought you the jerk try to make it up to you. Yeah, my number three is Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Um, I didn't think you were going to put this on your list because it's been it's so high up. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a fun movie, but you really have to be in on the joke. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why it's so high yeah. up for me. Um, it's, it's, it's a parody of detective noir films from the golden age of hollywood with only three modern cast members uh steve martin uh rachel ward and uh carl reiner and then the rest of the stars in the movie is incorporated footage from actual golden age hollywood films like uh we saw clips of white heat and the big sleep and stuff like that in there and Carl Reiner and the editing team edit it together. The store, the script uh, is fashionable. Yeah, I know Carrie. Yeah, <laughs> Carrie Grant's in it. Carrie yes. Grant's last movie. Yeah, and um, so they they wrote the scenarios around these film clips um to create the comedy out of it. But they also give Martin's character his own kind of like tragic, dark. A uh, twist of, of emotion with with cleaning woman, cleaning woman. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's it's one of those it's one of those films that when I saw it, I couldn't believe somebody had made a movie like that because it seems like it wouldn't work because the sound quality and the film clips doesn't match. But you you just forget about that. You don't even it doesn't cross your mind because you're just engrossed in the laughter on it. It's one of those examples of how Carl Reiner is able to craft something unique out of a comedy that you're not expecting. Cause he does the same thing with Oh God, where it has, it's not really about religion. It's more about the idiocy surrounding organized religion or, um, you know, he makes fun of sci-fi films in the man with two brains and stuff like that. So he, it shows his artistry, um, that he's able to kind of craft something around it. And in a weird way, it's kind of like a sketch film cause it kind of deals in like isolated episodes, um, so he's kind of bringing some craft of sketch comedy knowledge to it. Um, and Reiner himself is in the movie as a Nazi because there's a Nazi plot in the movie because, of course, there is. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's it's such a treat. I love Steve Martin. Um, so if I if I any time I sit down to watch a film of his, it's going to be this or The Jerk or um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And so it's like among those films that I will sit down and like just get lost in. I rewatched it. um not too long ago, um, back in like November, and I, I was just falling on the floor laughing. So it's it's close to me. Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen it, I I genuinely think there's no reason why anybody wouldn't enjoy this film. The the one like cringe moment is when uh, she passes out in his office and he's fondling her breasts, and she goes, she wakes up and goes, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm adjusting your breasts." They got <laughs> misaligned on the fall. <laughs> like it's a little bit like, Ugh, but. I think you can get past it. Yep. 
Corinne, number two. All right, so to introduce my number two, I shall recite a quick poem <clears throat> that comes to us by way of Sir Percival Blakeney. They seek him here, they seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? That damned elusive Pimpernel. Nothing. No one is more important than the rescue of the Dauphin at this moment. There is one enemy of the Republic in particular who continues to elude us. A man we consider more dangerous than all the others combined. The Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, do tell us more about the Scarlet Pimpernel, Sir Percy. All Paris is talking about him. Unchecked, his continued success could undermine the revolution itself. Yours, I believe. While this meddlesome Englishman remains at large, he continues to be a menace. Needless to say, the man who brings him to justice will earn the gratitude of the nation. We have to root out the enemies in our midst. We never know where they might strike next. You have no right to pry into my personal affairs. Even when those personal affairs smack of treason. We are about to embark upon the most dangerous mission yet. So my number two is the Scarlet Pimpernel. Crammed with adventure. <laughs> As it said on the TVT cover in the trailer, yeah. Uh, so this is starring Anthony Andrews, Jane Seymour, and Ian McKellen as the bad guy. He's so good in this movie. Um, just uh, could go on and on about this movie for days. But anyway, it is the grandfather of Batman because the novels of uh, Scarlet Pimpernel were the inspiration for Zorro, which was the inspiration for Batman. So this is kind of the beginning of the superhero genre, really, written by a woman also. So, yeah, women invented superheroes. Sorry, guys. Um, it's just so great. And watching Wait, it, what makes him super? Well, I mean, he's basically Bruce Wayne. He's using his wealth to do good. And he wears, like, disguises. And Where are the other to, swords going? Yeah. <laughs> I think Trying we've to. had this argument where Batman's not a superhero. He's just a hero. Yes. Uh, he's a vigilante. <laughs> he's vengeance. <laughs> but then he's hope. no i actually i do like this movie um it has lots of charm uh the part i always laughed as at the end where he like his big thing comes and he's like well let me introduce you to your team and it's all the people that were working with them it's really mm-hmm. funny good yeah. stuff and i haven't seen him in a long time to show you that paying attention to detail because the whole movie he makes fun of um chauvelin who's played by ian mckellen for not paying attention to fashion. And of course, he has this like persona. It's very Bruce Wayne Batman, right? He has this persona where he acts like a dumbass and he just kind of flies under everyone's radar because of that. They don't think that he's like some criminal mastermind because he's just a goofball and an idiot. So then he's actually like planning to break all these people out of the French Revolution and everything. And he gets on to Chauvelin about like, oh, your fashion sense is terrible, my boy. Oh. And then at the end, he's like, oh, yes, but you didn't notice that the uniforms of your soldiers were very poorly tailored. So maybe if you'd have caught on to that sooner, (laughs) you wouldn't be in this situation. But, yeah, I just love it. And there are elements that you can pick up in, like, a post-Christopher Nolan Batman era 
of like you know the whole like dual identity and the idea of the mask and like who he really is versus you know the show that he has to put on to fly under everyone's radar and go unnoticed and the kind of subtle things that he has to do in the background to ensure all the plans go smoothly and I would love to see if Matt Reeves does a sequel to The Batman, which he probably will, I want to see Clayface, and I want him to be based on the Scarlet Pimpernel of basically a guy who just has great acting ability and awesome disguises and just, like, uses it to cause chaos. Call me Matt Reeves. <laughs> I have lots of ideas for you. Does, uh, is it, at any point, does the Scarlet Pimpernel go, Rachel? No. Okay. Sorry. Um, also, I'll still watch it. On top of being a superhero movie, it's also a period drama. So mm-hmm. you knew it was. And it's be British, huh? <laughs> Part of it's British. It's true, Although Ryan. It We're British, all British. <laughs> it's the Beauty and the Beast thing where they have British people. No, that's. I mean, it's, it's a total British production. Oh, I know, but yeah. it's supposed to be set. Well, most of it's supposed to be set in France. One yeah. of the studio logos is an acorn. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds. <laughs> Sounds British to me. I, I saw it for the first time on PBS, and I don't know why I stopped because I like I do like period dramas and pieces. I go, oh, I'll watch it, and it's it's really good. There's an older one from the 30s um, yep. that has the Leslie Howard, yeah, the guy who plays yeah. Ashley in Gone with the Wind, and that's pretty good too. I think this one's better because I yeah. I think Ian McKellen as Chauvelin is a lot better. I think the 30s one is the one they show a clip of in V for Vendetta. I could be wrong, like. That you go find your own tree is what they. No, that's you're thinking of the Count of Monte Cristo. No, Count of Monte Cristo. That's right. Yeah, never mind. Anyway, my number two is the Scarlet Pimpernel. It's on YouTube. Go watch it. Sweet, Brad. Your number two is a repeat. It is. It's uh, First Blood. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, we talked about it earlier. Um, Just an amazing film. Um, If you're like me and you grew up watching Rambo three first, uh, definitely a departure from what you're expecting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just a great meditation on. PTSD for war veterans and um, it just frustrates uh, like the the police in that town like how they could go that far to like yeah. ruin his life like that uh, just because he wanted to get, go to a diner and have some some food. Yep. Um, yeah. It also Bullshit. treats it like a horror movie. I was looking when looking at some of those clips like they treat Rambo kind of like a horror villain like they because they have him like hiding around in the trees and whatnot and he'll just do a pop up for a jump scare. There are some parts where I'm like how did he build that trap so fast? <laughs> uh, the environment? Movie magic. <laughs> like, His training under Colonel Troutman? Like what spring did he have for that branch that swings out with the spikes on it? I'm just like, I had to do my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's that one part where he's like Laying right on the ground, the cop doesn't see him. <laughs> but whatever, well, it happens. It's still, it's still amazing. Yep. Uh, my number two is a repeat as well. It's Blade Runner. Um, yeah, I like this film. It's really cool. I love the production design. Uh, I'm a Harrison Ford fan, and he's really good in it. Yep, Blade Runner. Okay. It's awesome. <laughs> We've talked about it, but I love me some Blade Runner. Yeah, and I don't care what cut it is. Actually, I, I find value in all of them. Mm-hmm. You'd probably just like the scene where that lady's naked. No, I like the scene where he's fighting Wrecker Howard at the end. That's probably that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Violent, you know. Yeah. Like tears and rain. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, number two. All right. I'm guessing um, this is everybody else's number one. My, my number two is uh, a sweep, but it's pretty high up, so I hope I can be slightly forgiven. Beyond the darkness, 
beyond the human evolution is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. Chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. against their shields. The base is Scotty, I need warp speed in three minutes or we're all dead. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me. Marooned for all eternity. Buried alive. lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Opens at a theater near you, June 4th. Yeah, uh, my number two is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Um, Zack! <laughs> I've done far worse than kill you. I've swept you. I guess it's worse that Corinne doesn't even have it on her list, so... And I wish to go on sweeping you. Um, yeah, no, I mean, if it were not for John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, this would have been my number one. Um, I, I love I love Star Trek, the original series, and this is the best film they ever made, hands down. Um, I, I, I think it's wonderful that they kind of took the the lessons of what not to do with Star Trek, the motion picture and really went back to something from the source material of the original series and took out one of its greatest adversaries and gave him a whole platform and giving Ricardo Montalban a chance to just act his ass off. Um, the, the, the entire crew has something to do at some point. Um, even Chekhov who wasn't even in that episode, but doesn't matter. He's there we put an earworm in him, and uh, we see that those wonderful practical effects of those things digging into his ear. Um, uh, and uh, obviously, Spock's sacrifice at the end will move you to tears. Um, it, it's it's a wonderful, like supremely executed sci-fi adventure film that has the heart of Star Trek buried right into its core, and just it emanates with passionate beauty. It's it's fantastic. Um, and like I, I would say that if anybody doesn't like Star Trek or can't get into Star Trek, if they started with this film, I think it would convince them to try and explore explore the world of Star Trek into the television series and stuff. Because this does give you an uh, uh, this gives you a glimpse into why those characters are so popular without having to have any prior explanation. Because most of the you you've never seen the original series all the way through. 
Nope. But you were pretty much able to just latch on to what's going on from the get go. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a good gateway film for it, and I, I, yeah, like I said, if it wasn't for the thing, this would have been my number one, hands down. I love it. But yeah. Grin, you're gonna kick off the number ones. Yep, my number one is the best movie based on a poem. He had only one wish, to prove himself a man. Make your plan with someone else's daughter. I didn't carve this place out of the bush to see Jessica run off with the first fortune hunter to come along. She had only one dream, to find out who she was. Why do you keep this portrait of my mother? I have a right to know. A lot of pain and suffering when you try to dig up the past. Jessica! Help me! All I wanted was to see you again. To be with you. So I hung on until you came. Jason. Together they fought. And struggled. And loved. In a land as untamed. As beautiful. As they themselves. You go down to the low country and earn the right to live up here. You got a long way to go yet, lad. He's not a lad, brother. He's a man. A man from Snowy River. Twentieth Century Fox proudly presents a magnificent epic adventure. of triumph. Will you look at that? A story of love. <laughs> a story of a boy who becomes a man. The man from Snowy River. So my number one is The Man from Snowy River, mm-hmm. which was a family favorite growing up. Watched this movie a bunch with my mom and my sisters. And it has some of my favorite moments in all of cinema, but um, the whole chase... I think it's an unrealistic uh, portrayal of a man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if only they made him like Jim Craig. They need more male writers in Hollywood so the proper perspective is explored. I I need uh, the white male to be better represented (laughs) in film, please. So it's the story of a boy from the mountains whose father dies in a tragic accident and he is basically told to go back down to the lowlands and earn his place in the mountains. So he goes to work for this rancher who's played by um, Kirk Douglas who actually has another role in the movie Mm -hmm. uh, as his brother. Spoilers. Um, Not really. It's in the trailer. hmm, That's true. But uh, but the 80s love spoiling movies and trailers. <laughs> they just showed that trailer. I'm like, I have seen this movie, and I think I just saw it again. Maybe that's where Corinne got her spoiler techniques was from 80s trailers. They Probably. could explain a lot. Yeah, it's that Terminator 2 trailer, man. Yes. 
Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, and then he falls in love with the rancher's daughter, and there's this uh, group of horses running around the whole movie called the Brumbies, and the whole last act of the movie is Jim and his friends going off to chase down the Brumbies and capture this um, colt that the rancher had that got loose. Um, the colt's worth a thousand pounds, which was a lot of money back then. So, uh, yeah, it's just so, so fun. I don't know. We just had a good time watching it. And the whole last act where they're chasing down the Brumbies is just has like a lot of energy and a lot of momentum to it. And you just really feel like you're in the midst of, like, this chase sequence. And it builds up to one of my favorite moments in, like, probably all of cinema where, um, so they're riding through the mountains and basically, like, nobody really should be up there except for Jim because he's, you know, from the mountains, his horse is from the mountains, so they have a home field advantage, basically. And they're chasing the Brumbies and the Brumbies go down this really steep hill and nobody can follow them. And so everyone's just like standing at the edge of this cliff and then Jim just like without a second's hesitation just rides up and jumps off the side of the cliff and just whips his whip really hard and the musical cue that comes in, mm, chef's kiss. But uh, yeah, this movie also has great uh, <laughs> musical uh, moments and the soundtrack is, it's very basic, but the light motif So basic. Like the light motifs are simple, but they work. No, I, I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time. You let me borrow this movie. I don't know, last year, year before, something, something like that. that. And the trailer really doesn't do it any favors because there's way more to the story. The trailer gives you like a overview of the whole film, mm-hmm. but there's a little more to it than the yeah. Trailer there's some melodrama in. in there about like the rancher and his brother and the the rancher's wife and their daughter and everything, and um and then like Jim's story of like trying to prove himself. And really trying to find a place where he feels like he belongs. And it ends on kind of like, not it's a happy ending, but it's not the happiest ending. Like, he kind of yeah. gets the girl, but not fully. You know what I mean? Yeah. They leave it a little open-ended. I equate it to like Roman Holiday. <laughs> I yeah. wanna, I'd wanna. i like to watch the film. I, I like watching Kirk Douglas in any era. So. Oh, uh, he's really good in the movie. Yeah. It, it, it looks beautifully shot, and it's an Australian production when I was looking mm-hmm. it up just now, so... It sounds awesome. Yeah. Directed by George T. Miller, and I had to be right. like, it's not the same George Miller. We, we talked about this on a, yeah. on an episode before. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I was like, oh, George Miller, yeah, because Australia. So you're thinking, oh, yeah, he would have. Dur- no. Serves me right for assuming. Not Mad <laughs> Max Snowy River, sadly. It's so funny because I was going to make fun of the, the amazing climactic ending as being comparable to Fury Road's <laughs> third act. But... Wow, it's they weird. have to go all the way back to Snowy River. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's just like a convention of George Millers in Australia. Yeah. They all just exchange ideas. That's like the John Smith in America. George Miller is Kirk. the John Smith of America. You oh, know what? That just, yeah. I just realized Kirk yes. Douglas did play a Morton Joe in Fury Road. That's right. He, he knew his friend Kirk and he brought him back and just put him under a mask. That's right. I mean, Ryan, you said you saw the movie. I mean, yeah, yeah no, it's fine. It, it, Movies like this will never be my favorite type of movie in so much that there's way too much melodrama in it. Mm. And, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's still fun. I mean, I think I watched, I watched it with Kellen and Kellen likes like Westerns and stuff like that. It's it's basically a Western. And I think you told me that he got like bored. Yeah. He got bored. But then when, at the end when they started, you know, fighting and stuff then Mm -hmm. he gets, he gets excited again. He's, he's, he's a kid. He doesn't, he likes freaking Secret Life of Pets. It's, that's his 
barometer of good movies, and that's not a good movie. So. Is, it, is he too young to have an intervention? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my number one is The Man from Snowy River. Please so, check it out. Sweet. Uh, Brad, you and I are probably tag-teaming on number one. Um, so if you want to introduce it, then I'll jump on your back and have sex with him. Go what? with you down to the the Starfleet Academy Academy and in San Francisco doom, and, and, doom, and, doom, and beat the Kobayashi doom, Maru in I'm out. It's, it's not a test of leadership. It's, it's a test of character. Yeah. Brad, your number one movie? Uh, yeah, my number one movie is the Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, obviously. The, the right number one movie to all these yahoos in this freaking podcast. It's yeah. not about what's the best. It's about what's your favorite, Ryan. Uh, you said so. In this instance, it's yeah. about what's the best. No, you know what? It's you, not. you need to get back in time and tell John Carpenter to direct this movie instead of the thing. Then, then I'll talk. <laughs> Um, yeah, just, um, for me, just, uh, growing up as a Star Trek fan, you know, it's, it's one of the best up there. Um, I've said before, like, I think six is actually my favorite, but, um, if you want to crash course in Star Trek, this is what you turn people on to, mm-hmm. um, you know, ha- has actual stakes, consequences, uh, you know, they mine the series, which I've always said is you know, for the movies, the best way to make Star Trek movies is to pull stuff from the series because you get, you please the fans and then you, you know, update it with a bigger budget and uh, attract uh, new audiences too, so. And you never know what you're going to get out of like pulling something from the past like that, like like the Borg with First Contact and pulling out some of uh, Picard's drama from that. Yeah. Works beautifully. I mean, sometimes it works when you do Star Trek Four and um, just time travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they did time travel stuff in the series too. But I also love uh, if you saw the the, the sweeper things. Um, you know this game that Kirk and Khan have. It's not just Kirk constantly defeating Khan, or the other way around. They're trading blows back and forth, um, and it, uh, it it's great how Khan is this twenty first century genius, um, and he thinks he's so much smarter than someone who's from the twenty third century, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, he doesn't lack three-dimensional thinking. Yes. Um, yeah, just uh, uh, Nicholas Meyer coming in and revamping, uh, you know, what people know Star Trek to be. Um, yeah, it's the, the militarization of Star Trek is an- antithetical to Roddenberry's vision, but I think it, um, you know, there, there's a certain point where you can't have drama anymore if there's no conflict. So, um, yeah, I think... It, it, it can't just be all philosophy, especially with what you've created. Or all good times, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I will say, uh, I'm, this might be someone's first time listening to our podcast, so I know I've told this story before. But I, I was never a Star Trek fan. I've never liked it. Um, but I don't think I was ever really uh, embraced it. And then Brad showed me uh, Six. And I watched go, oh, yeah, I could, I can get on board with this. This is pretty fun. And I went to a midnight showing of this uh, with Brad. I never saw it before at the Esquire. And I remember watching it and being really blown away because you have this preconceived notion of what Star Trek is uh, with William Shatner being an overactor and not a very good one because of his persona that he put out there after he did Star Trek. But you see this and he's amazing in it. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the impression that you constantly see like 
comedians do of him is such a caricature of yeah, this. It's not even close. Yeah. Um, he's actually a pretty good dramatic actor in these movies. Oh yeah. No. And it's, uh, this movie is one that just goes by so fast and you know, you're right. The games they play with each other is, it just makes for a really compelling film throughout its runtime. And I was never a Star Trek fan. So th- this shows up as like my number one movie from 1982 should tell you a lot about the film itself. And yeah, if you haven't seen Star Trek, I think you should watch it. I'm one of the people that actually like the uh, Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, but I saw them way out of order. I saw six, <laughs> two, and four um, because I saw that at the Esquire two with you four, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, maybe. But also, I think even the 2009 reboot had a impact on you as far as like, oh yeah, being like appreciating the character of Kirk more. Oh yeah, no, I mean Ca- uh, Captain Kirk or Admiral Kirk, uh, or he's my favorite. One of my favorite characters in any movie. I just... And you, you don't... It's it's funnier than I thought. It, Star Trek's funnier than I thought it would be. Um, and it got me on board because I saw them out of order. And then when they were released in a Blu-ray set, I bought them. And then I saw all the other ones. I'll, I'll forget about three, but... <laughs> the uh, uh, No, five. Three's okay. Search for Spock. It's five is the God one, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the other ones I, I'm on board with. You know, even... Um, even the first one, which is yeah. is a more like two thousand one, a space. But I, but I love the idea of the first one mm-hmm. um, about what is calling them and what is the villain. I, I love that yeah. idea. Something from our past that comes back to haunt us. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that idea. So, and I think it looks great. The first one I think looks incredible. I can't wait um, to see the remaster they're doing for oh, the four K. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, it, I've never seen the series. But the steel books are so nice. Every time I'm at Best Buy, I go, I should buy those. But they're ninety dollars, so I don't. But <laughs> if I one day, if I have ninety dollars and my wife won't kick me out of the house, I'll get them. Oh yes, I I'll like also them. too. Like it's another like it's an early example of the Star Trek films playing with horror imagery to to their advantage. Like with Khan like leaving the bodies of the people at the Genesis station, oh, yeah. like strung up and behind. And like I was earlier, the the earworms that go into Chekhov and Terrell like it's 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 unnerving like he and he's able to draw upon like some he's able to up stakes that you wouldn't have gotten away with in 60s television before I actually like I would love to know like if you ever get around to watching the original series I'd love you to do that and then rewatch these films and see like if the appreciation level like grows even further yeah I mean I will probably eventually I'm sure it might be on sale one day I love Star Trek but season two and three of that's series is tough <laughs> i i think three is tougher than two tough, three is the worst to get through yeah because it's because they're you're watching it just like run out of money in real time yeah <laughs> um, womp, womp. yeah they're, they're aware that they're not getting renewed yeah and then just ends <laughs> yeah no resolution the inverse of that is that I, I i think star trek next gen takes two seasons to get its legs warmed up but I think once it does do. yeah that's why I've kind of held off on Picard because I'm just like I'd rather just wait until they've got a couple seasons under their belt. Well, they've already confirmed they're only getting three, so ah, okay, <laughs> well, never mind. There's nothing to work up to. Okay, Zach, number one. All right, my number one is John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, yeah, I, I think this my love of this movie is one of the reasons why I have animosity towards ET because I'm like, how dare this superior alien movie. Uh, be overtaken by this cuddly alien movie but like if i'm just being honest it's because i really appreciate 
the way this film handles its source material um, into an like more so as an idea than uh, beat beat for beat going off of Campbell's story. Um, I think he manages to create tension in a way that I've never seen another director do where you have this model piece inside of this isolated Arctic station and really wrestling with trust as its main theme and the dissolution of society with this as like a Petri dish example. Um, the practical effects are astounding. Um, there are still moments in this film that unnerve me. Some small stuff even like Wilford Brimley's character um, when they have to put him away in isolation because they because he's been His destroying <laughs> um, no because he's destroying the station and he's like oh, you don't understand that thing wanted to be out um, and um, uh, McCready goes back in to check on him and it cuts to this kind of medium wide shot of of um, him sitting there eating and putting stuff together and you can see a noose in the background he's about ready to hang himself um, and um, also the uh, Something that will never escape me as an image uh, is when uh, one of the men is tumbling out there because he we realize he is the thing, and McCready's got the blowtorch, and the, the him as the uh, the the crew member as the thing turns around, and he's got like a claw kind of thing, and he just looks at him with those dead eyes, and he just goes like it's it's similar to the invasion of the body snatchers remake yeah. when people do that with their mouth like i get freaked out <laughs> and then you just see him like no re no real remorse just torch him and it's like just it's bleak as shit yeah. like it's a mean movie um and the final image of uh of him and uh Keith David out in the out in the snow just waiting it out like it's it's unsettling and i and i feel like in a way like I I rewatched this um by for I rewatched this and the prequel the thing and I think that either one of those films does a good job at handling those themes because it's such a compelling idea to work with um I I'm excited that they're going to do another one based more on the expanded novella that they dug up recently but honestly like this is the most perfect adaptation of this concept hands down so yeah, if you haven't seen the thing, why the fuck haven't you? Check it out. Yeah, it's a good one. And Corinne, I'll I'll loan it to you. Yeah, just take it home and watch it. I I guarantee it's scary, but you won't regret watching it. Like it's I know we kid you about that stuff, but trust me, this is this is a horror film that James loves, and James is adverse to horror films. So yeah, I mean, I'm down to see it if it's got like a Twilight Zone esque sort of vibe oh, yeah. to it. Oh, it's yeah, it's time. very strong in that respect. Good um, deal. Yeah, and it's just beautifully shot. Like it's and there's like the the everything's practical on down to those title effects and just mm -hmm. and you can watch the document the behind the scenes documentary on it yeah. is easily one of the best behind the scenes documentaries about a film ever. Period. And Kurt Russell is a great lead. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot. Kurt Russell is a, is a man with a with a beard, a luxurious beard, yep. um, and he has a mustache sometimes too. Yeah. John Carpenter also has a lot of facial hair, so maybe that's yeah. maybe that's the reason. He just I relates. Like. Yeah, you know, I relate. You know, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so we did get two emails. Brad, I got Carol's. Did you want to do Jake's, and I'll do Carol's first? Yeah, I gotta find Jake's. Cool. Um, so Carol says, "Hello, real nerds." First, let's talk about Uncharted. Just listen to your <laughs> review, and I agree. Ryan and Zach, this was just a lot of fun. 
Ryan and James have talked about the game and your hopes for the movie finally getting made. Several times you said I should try the game and that you thought I would love the movie if made well. It finally happened. What a fun time. We got to go to the movie with James and Brooks while we were visiting them in Michigan. It was perfect timing. James and Brooks both loved the game and talked about their concerns about the movie. After the movie, James grabbed me to take a picture to send you guys. Fun movie, fun time. Now on to 1982. After looking at the list from this year, I realized that there are a few movies that we missed, like The Verdict, and James tells me that we need to watch First Blood. You do. And there are several that we haven't seen in a long time that I can't remember, and I can't remember that much about them. Unfortunately, we haven't had time to review, so this list feels a bit lame. Whatever, here goes. I'll start. Uh, I'll, I'll start this time. I'll start at the end. Honorable mentions: Sophie's Choice. I must mention it because it stuck with me. Just hearing the name makes me sad, but it's a type of story that needs telling. The title scene is a, pa- a painful reminder of a man's inhumanity. Terrible. I agree. Um, almost the worst movie ever. The, wor- the world according to Garp. Yep. Um, number ten: Death Trap, a comedy mer- uh, mystery starring Michael Caine. I haven't seen that. I'll see Michael Caine. I like him. Uh, number nine, An Officer and a Gentleman. This is a complicated story that follows a sad and lost character and a few of the people he encounters as he tries to become a Navy pilot. Tron. Wild and crazy science fiction. Number seven, Blade Runner. Dark and mysterious science fiction. True. Number six, Victor Victoria. Julie Andrews. Oh my gosh, a woman pretending to be a man dressed up like a woman. She does a great job. There are a lot of laughter and there are some good messages too. James Garner and Robert Preston are both wonderful. Leslie Ann Warren plays a character that is so tacky and annoying. Number five, Evil Under the Sun. I love Agatha Christie. Is one uh, In this one, we have Peter Ustinov playing the, the role of Hercule Poirot. He plays a character a bit more fun the, than the way Poirot is written. A favorite scene is when he tells everyone he is going for a swim, but just walks out into the water, barely to his waist, and moves his arm as doing swim strokes. Clever. Maggie Smith is great playing the proprietor of the resort, who seems to know everyone's business. She is so fun. I do love Maggie Smith. She's always great in things, you know? Number four, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Hey, it's a Star Trek, and it's an even number. Enough said. Number three, Tootsie. Interesting. Another story about... Uh, about a crossdresser and also doing it to get a job. Dustin Hoffman is amazing. Lots of fun to watch. Two, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Yes, there's some controversy in our family regarding this movie, but the bottom line is, is that it's great. A little scary, funny, and oh so very heartwarming. And my number one is sort of a cheat. She's getting into it now. She's, you know, cheating a little bit. I love it. But that's okay. It's Real Nerds Pod Show episode, Season 1, Episode 2, Extra Terrorrestrial. This is the most uh, fun to watch. It brings back the best memories. Rich and I went out to a movie while mi- filming Inside the House was happening. Then during the filming, inside the ha- uh, then during the filming outside, we watched from the window upstairs. That was hilarious. There was Ryan lying in our driveway, covered in white powder, our van driving up, guys jumping out dressed like in hazmat gear to go to throw Ryan in. We were cracking up watching take after take. It was great to see the finished project. Great writing, acting, and editing. So proud. Hey, why don't we own a copy of the DVD? A good question, James. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brad, I love your new section 
uh, on how not to be an annoying movie watcher. You go, ice holes. <laughs> Seriously, people, how rude. It's worse th- than whispering. People get on my last nerve. We haven't been to Al- Alamo Littleton recently. Have they done anything about those bright lights under the tables yet? Thanks for listening. As always, I look forward to hearing your list. Love you all, Carol. I forgot to mention this the last time because she asked about it. And when I went there, it wasn't as bright. And I talked to a server and they have the ability to dim them. Mm. Um, so also he said, check the uh, movie you go to because it could be sensor friendly where they don't dim the lights as much and they turn down the sound. Um, so they do that on purpose uh, to, uh, for sensor friendly showings. So, yeah, just ask them if they're bright and they can turn them down. Yeah, I've been to the Alamo Littleton a couple times now. And I haven't had a bad experience there. Yeah, they even got the the light to signal that you have a yeah. food request, so that's cool. Yeah, Kellen liked that because he kept on ordering like <laughs> stuff. Except every time I press mine, someone's like ready, like already on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they immediately turn it right off, and it's like, man, you're ruining the fun of me pressing the <laughs> yeah. button. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I've been uh, I've been going out to all the Alamos lately. Um, the Westminster one's really, I really like the Westminster one. Um, I picked up the sh- uh, Hot Fuzz uh, vinyl soundtrack last time I was there. Yeah, they have the best merch shop. For sure. They should they, they should expand their Mondo vinyl section, though. Oh, I know. It's weird that they put them right next to the door. Like, it's the most expensive item to run out with. Because the um, before the pandemic and it closed for a year, I got the Buffy the Vampire Slayer once more with Feeling soundtrack, and it's gorgeous. And then the Hot Fuzz one is awesome too and it, the hot fuzz one comes with a letter from edgar wright so it's kind of fun uh, reading it so yeah uh make it bigger guys come on brad you have our other email yeah our other emails from uh james's brother jake interesting that most of james's family can participate in film solution in 1982 but somehow james can't i know james uh, i mean i saw on facebook he's playing video games <laughs> <laughs> which i wish i could do my kid like I got him this game called Bendy and the Ink Machine, which is a really poorly made game, but he loves it because it's like this creepy cartoon game. So he can talk to his friends about how he plays a scary game. And so he's beaten it already. My kid has beaten a game and he keeps on playing it. And he's obsessed with it. And the other day uh, I took it out of my PlayStation 5 so I could play a game and he forgot to save it where he was at. <laughs> and so he so I took it out. I played my game, saved it, took the disc out, put it back in so he could just play it when he got home. And he got home and he goes, and he starts like, <gasps> I can see like tears welling up. I was like, buddy, what is wrong? He's like, I, I thought I saved the game and I did. And I go, hey, what the hell happened? And it was totally me. Laura, what'd you do? Yeah, what? <laughs> this game didn't save? And I felt horrible. <laughs> but then he got over it really fast. And you, I said, buddy, just, tell him. yeah, just, no. Like, I'm like, dude, you can beat it. You've been it before. And he says, you're right, daddy. And then he's. Now the last level again. The game's fucking awful. There's a lesson in this, son. <laughs> if you work really hard at stuff, it's even more rewarding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you're let down, but you got to keep going. He's going to listen to this. <laughs> yeah, he's going to listen to this. 20 years from now, he's going to listen to this. Son of a like, bitch. <laughs> all the therapy money I wasted. <laughs> he's going to throw my Jack Slater uh, figure on the roof. Aw, son. Aw. Go get it, you fucking nerd. <laughs> Good news. Uh, the Jack Slater is Schwarzenegger. Uh, I put batteries in it and tested it today. Um, it's really bad voice box, but and he says four things, and one of the things he doesn't say, he he does not say is "I'll be back." Weird, right? Did he say "I'll be back" in the movie though? He does. Hmm. He goes, 
I'll be back. Ha! You didn't think I'd say that, did you? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the most famous thing you're known for saying. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, Jake's List. Uh, hi, guys. It's Jake Hart again. Sorry I've missed a couple of these, but I absolutely couldn't not do 1982. Number 10, Firefox. You may be wondering why this sort of half-James Bond, half-Top Gun B-movie made my list above a movie like, say, 48 Hours that has met Eddie Murphy and actually has something to say. I'm actually curious about this myself. <laughs> Especially considering I only saw this movie once on TV. I don't think I saw the whole thing, and I don't remember much about it. <laughs> but what I do remember, the main character flies this super high-tech fighter jet with a black box that lets him fly by wire with his brain. In the climax of the movie, he gets killed, but some part of him has transferred into the black box, and it keeps flying the plane. <laughs> I still remember that one part of this one mediocre movie as the spark of my interest <laughs> in, in transhumanist science fiction, and that's why this thing is on my list. Number nine. I'm not sure... Uh, number nine, First Blood, and I'm not sure he uh, remembers the right movie because his comment is, Exploding Errors for the Win. That's from the second one, Jake. <laughs> but we understand why you get confused. <laughs> uh, number eight, The Thing. As you know by now, I don't like horror, but this movie is really cool for its portrayal of paranoia alone. Mm -hmm. Also, a guy who pours his drink into the computer when he gets frustrated with it, and we've all wanted to do that at least <laughs> once. Number seven, Death Trap. This well-executed bottle episode mystery is also proof that Christopher Reeve could totally play other things besides Superman. Number six, Conan so, the Barbarian. Riding a horse. Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> You get there? I just caught up to it. All right, cool. Uh, number six. <laughs> it's like when Pam's like, uh, uh, Todd Packer's like, can someone get me a ride? It's like, I can do anything except pass, pass a breathalyzer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, number six. Conan the Barbarian, the movie that launched a thousand metal album covers. Number five, Tron, a major technological moonshot triumph, and also the only movie I'm aware of in which the practical effects are pretending to be CGI. Number four, Blade Runner. Just for the record, it doesn't matter whether Deckard is a replicant or not. Thank you. It seems like a consensus amongst us that we just enjoy the film. Yeah. Doesn't really, that part doesn't matter. Like, I, that, I don't think that ever occurred to me until, like, internet yeah. fandom yep. spoke up about it. And, again, I just, I think they're making it what they want it to be. Number three, The Dark Crystal. A seriously epic fantasy classic made with nothing but Muppets. Number two, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Star Trek goes for a knockdown, drag-out epic, and it works. If I'm going to show someone a movie who has never seen any Star Trek, I show them this one. Number one, Megaforce. Deeds, not words. Yeah! As a kid in the 80s, I would to so totally have wanted the toys they never made based on this movie. Just kidding. Who am I kidding? Number one, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. <laughs> if I can just make James watch this one more time. Just one more time. I'm sure he's going to understand how wonderful it is. I guess James and I can both say our childhoods would not be the same without this movie. Aww. But for me, this was my absolute favorite movie, period. For a good yeah. ten years. Spielberg's painted sense of wonder at full blast. It totally made Reese's Pieces my favorite candy for a long time, too. And I don't even care... That is just shameless product placement. You phone home, little buddy. Nice. You phone home. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't Reese's Pieces. It was like Kit Kats or something else. They didn't want to be associated yeah. with the movie. What was it? Yeah, it's in the making of. And or I think it was M&M's. Yeah, yeah. they had. Yeah, because they had to just pick something 
you know, random. So, or like M&M's. It's in the making of on the 30th yeah. anniversary. Yeah, for some reason M&M's is like, no, you yeah. can't have our like rights to be in the movie. And they're like, okay, okay. we're going to make a ton of money, but... Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I hope uh, I'll reach out to James and hopefully he'll write a rebuttal about his whole, whole family loves ET, but he hates it because he's terrified about it. Here's my article on why 1982 sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why he's not in this list. <laughs> Can't relieve the childhood trauma of ET. Cool. Uh, thanks for going on this journey. Forty years in the making. Um, next week we're seeing X by Ty West. Mm-hmm. It'll be a lot of fun. And yeah, we'll see you at the movies. Thanks. Right. Bye. Bye. You waited all year here with the nerds have chosen. I'm telling you all, it's a film explosion. Film explosion. Thanks for listening to Real Nerds Podcast, a Nebulous Visions production. Stream or download episodes, read articles at realnerdspodcast.com. Stream us on Apple or Google Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Follow us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, at Real Nerds. Watch us on YouTube, Real Nerds Podcast. Email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Call us at 720-6Nerds5. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill, Mike at Plan 9 Studios, and Bologna for all of our groovy theme songs. And that's how you fucking do it.